Ready when you are. Okay. Hey now! It's your boy PSA Sitch here with another Tuesday Tuesday stream with everyone's favorite, the savior of all squirrel kind, Adam Frendon. <laughs> Interesting story today. Yeah. The squirrel carried every single one of her pups to mm -hmm. this tall-ass palm tree out in our front yard. So all all hmm. the kits have been moved, and there was actually four, not three. So Wow. Yeah. One at a time, carried them across the yard, <laughs> up the side of the house, up into the palm tree, and mm -hmm. there's a bigger nest up there. So I don't know if you, if you know this, Douglas, but Adam saved the lives of squirrels from the storm yesterday or on Monday. Yeah, Sunday. I was uh, I was following intently uh, <laughs> on Twitter, and uh, I'm I'm glad to hear the success of the squirrels. This is very this is very good news. Uh, yes, already upgraded is, to a larger home now, so everything. There you good. go. Wow. The American wow. dream. We have a very special guest today, Douglas. It runs a channel called MMT. MMT Macro Trader. He also has some products on Patreon, right? That's normally yeah, where you. Yep. So you, you, I'll let you explain. What what do you kind of do? What's the 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 goal of your channel? Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me on too, man. This is exciting uh, to uh, to be able to chat MMT. I saw, I saw some of the chat ahead of time, like Ugh, MMT. I promise, <laughs> I promise, I'll make MMT moderately fun <laughs> i don't know uh <laughs> can you do that i mean can I, I make monetary i find it fascinating fun. look don't oversell it here doug <laughs> like, yeah, yeah yeah this is going to be the most exciting time you've ever had in your life with your clothes on uh for for however long chat um uh, yeah, yeah. Just a, a brief introduction. About ten years ago, I ran across this uh, this guy on the internet called Warren Mosler, and he was talking about this uh, this this fringe <laughs> economic perspective called MMT. And uh, about at this time too, I was trying to build my own kind of macro understanding of the economy. Uh, I was it was like like a lot of people. I'm interested in trading, investing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Can can we know where markets are headed tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, sort of thing? And I ran across this guy at the time. I was uh, very much in, in what would be called the Austrian camp. Uh, it's a, it's kind of a uh, a small government, laissez-faire, pro uh, pro capitalist sort of uh, economic framework. It was uh, definitely my, my school of thought. And I run across a debate with Bob Murphy, who's, uh, if you're in the Austrian world, you know who, who he is. Ran across a debate between him and this Warren Mosler guy. And they're, 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 they're having this debate. And Warren Mosler, everything Warren Mosler's saying, I'm like, you know, I think he might be right. <laughs> and I, I remember this day, uh, like it was yesterday, I was at the gym, about ready to go hit some weights, warming up on the treadmill. And I'm like, listen to this debate. It's an hour long or an hour and a half long. And I'm listening to this thing. I'm like, I, I think this Mosler guy like might be right. I, you know, just down the list, everything he's saying is kind of is kind of clicking, and 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 just things are falling in place. I'm listening. So I run in at the end of the workout in, in the office that day. Probably did no productive work that day, and I start looking up the data and everything like that. I'm like, oh my god, I I think he's onto something. <laughs> so uh, fast forward a few years, I eventually start a YouTube channel, and and I'm still you know at this point kind of coming up with different ideas, but uh, running the statistics, running the data, uh, slowly kind of building some various kind of machine learning tools to to test this out. Uh, and then lo and behold, uh, kind of a YouTube channel is born. And, and, and then from there, I finally make some credible usable tools that if people are active investors, active traders, that sort of thing, then, uh, they can get, and those are at the Patreon, uh, Patreon page that I run patreon.com slash MMT 
macro trader. Uh, not to plug my own stuff or anything. It's no, no, I, I, this it's is exactly... cheesy when people plug their own stuff, you know, right behind them. But uh, no. I, I won't plug. I won't plug my own stuff. Like I'm also on Twitter and YouTube. So, <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm legitimately interested in the product. How, how much? How yeah. much is? So you're building these tools. There's an yep. uh, artificial intelligence component. You're yep. monitoring the market. I've watched some of your streams. So you monitor monetary flows, which have to do with government spending. Yes. So anyone who knows MMT knows that the uh, the money supply shrinks and grows through government spending and government taxation. Yep. So the, the kind of broad strokes theory that a lot of traders who trade on MMT information have is more government spending means prices are going to go up. And when more taxation generally means money's going to go out of the economy and more and prices are going to go down. Yep. So you monitor the flows to kind of be able to tell when prices are going to go up and when prices are going to go down and, and buy and sell stocks. Do you do you do bonds or just stocks? I'm I'm pretty much only stocks these days. Okay, yep. so you buy and sell stocks according to these flows. That's the gist. I mean, that's that's the yeah, that's the gist. Yeah, and and that was one of the things too when I you know I was trying to figure out MMT out of the get go. Now uh, you know again about ten years ago. Uh, that's the first thing I, I, I reached out to Warren Mosler. Warren Mosler, uh, you know, if, the, if they're unfamiliar, he, he kind of <laughs> MMT stands for Modern Monetary Theory, but in my mind, it stands for Mosler Monetary Theory because he's the oh. guy that that really really pieced it, a lot of it together back in the uh, '70s and '80s, and then into the '90s is, is really when he started to kind of publish the things that he started to to, to put together. Um, but but you, you know what I think a better name would be, especially for your branding. Yeah, Market Milker Theory. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because so it's all about milking that market. <laughs> that that is it. So let let's start let's start at at kind of the the base MMT case, right? Let's just build MMT up from what it mm -hmm. actually says, right? M MMT says nothing about printing as much money without getting inflation. It says nothing about deficits don't matter. It says nothing about that. MMT first and foremost is a framework for analysis, and it is a framework that is built on a modern understanding of monetary policy. And by modern, they mean over the last 5,000 years, this is how monetary operations have, have happened. And through that understanding, you can put together a truly kind of functional, practical, applied approach to, uh, to monetary and fiscal operations. Now, from a policymaker's perspective, if they properly understand how monetary operations act, they can make informed policy decisions. If you're an investor, you can make informed investment decisions. And so what is MMT? MMT is, is kind of the simplest the simplest framework I, I can put it in to kind of get it towards the idea of understanding flows and understanding how it actually affects the real economy is that, uh, and I, I think what a lot of people kind of understand, when the government spends, this spending creates net financial assets for the private sector. So you got a government sector on one side, you got a private sector on the other side. When the government is in debt, that means the private sector is in surplus. If the government ever goes runs a surplus, that surplus has to come from somewhere. If it's not coming from exporting goods and services to the rest of the world, that means it's coming from you and I, right? They're in surplus just, because they are getting that surplus from somewhere, and that would be you and I. Right. So just to simplify it here. So if the government decides to liquidate the the deficit, right? 
In order to do that, they would have to tax back all the money that they've spent. So if they started taxing us like drunken sailors, the first thing everyone would have to do is they'd have to go to their financial portfolio and start selling stocks to pay those taxes, right? Yeah, yeah, it would not be fun. <laughs> so then the, ta the price of those stocks would tangibly decrease as everyone rushes out to sell the, the stock to pay the taxes. It's probably what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there is, okay, this, this, what, is, a good it, this yeah, is a good question. My, go ahead. My question, like, so that government spending goes into the market to buy stocks. But if, let's just say the government decided it was going to liquidate the deficit in one day and it was going to basically tax everybody, whatever it is, there would be obviously chaos as people are liquidating yeah. financial. Yeah. But, but would the those financial assets crash to the point where they actually wouldn't have enough to pay off the deficit? It seems like that could be a possibility. All right. So, so this is a good question. Uh, some of the uh, some of the kind of the, the more right wing Austrian types that I've, I've had debates with. This is uh, kind of the thought experiment they have. If we completely paid off and apparently Andrew, da Andrew Jackson did this uh, 200 some odd years ago. You, completely did you get paid that off. from my live stream? Did you get that from my reading? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Uh, someone else, one of the other Austrians that I had a, a recent discussion debate with, which should be up soon. Uh, there's Bob a book Murphy. on this. Yeah. yeah there's yeah, a book yeah, on this. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. do you know, you know, the answer, like the, the Austrians will often say, oh, I'll, I'll let you continue and I'll okay. see if you know it already. So I, I don't know what actually took place in Andrew Jackson. I wasn't alive back then. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I, but I, there's a book on it. There's a book is there? on okay. it. Yeah, okay. totally. I mean, my my guess is on the very short run, there might have been a little bit of a, a pop, um, uh, maybe two to five years of kind of economic activity and then a, a terrible drop probably within, I don't know, two so <laughs> six months to three years would probably be the window, I guess. Maybe I'd say that you'd get some economic activity that could last, and then you'd get a massive unsustainable contraction. Uh, that would be my guess uh, okay, as to what well, actually let's, happened. Let's stick on this for a second here. So a lot of the Austrians do. I often say that the the and I know it's uh, it's not a perfect one for one, but I often say that the deficit is the money supply. I like I've, it people always reject that because they're like, there's M1, there's M2. But I mean, just you can broadly think of it as the money supply because if they paid off the deficit, there would be no money supply. A lot of the Austrians step in and Anthony Davis did this with me on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, what happened when they paid off the deficit? And like Andrew Jackson paid off the deficit at this time. So they had no money supply. And I thought, well, that's a pretty good question. Let me dig in here. So I read a book on the bank war with Andrew Jackson. And yes, when he paid off the deficit, what happened was the states all created their own money. So there was all this state currency floating around and they printed so much money that they caused one of the greatest depressions in American history. So like they're <laughs> kind of what I would expect would happen. Yeah, yeah, that yeah makes sense. exactly. Yeah, yeah, so it makes, makes perfect sense, sense that they they did liquidate the federal money supply. Yeah. All right. A couple of things here. The money supply thing is a good one. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, one of the things you'll find in MMT literature is a complete absence of a discussion of M1 and M2 because it's a terrible measure of money supply. Uh, right. what, it, what it effectively measures is bank deposits. And that's not really helpful if, okay, if, if, uh, what, if I is, have a bit, What is it? Just explain for the audience what M1 and M2 are. 
I don't, I really don't know the, the full definition of both, but okay. I, I know, I know M1, I think is, is, is circuit currency and circulation, maybe something right. else. And then M, yes. M2 also includes deposits. So right. I, I mean, I know deposits. those, yeah, bank deposits. Yeah. I know those are the two. And again, as an MMT or we don't, we, we don't care about M2, M2, a good, a good analogy for how MMT or CM2, uh, whenever, whenever we go flying, you know, and if the airplane doesn't have, uh, the GPS built into the airplane, our kids like to you know, get on their devices and see if they can see where the airplane's at on like Google maps, you know, right. But all you see is a dot, right. You don't actually know where the plane is headed. Right. So if I were to then, you know, send that out to Twitter, Hey, Twitter, look at, you know, we're flying somewhere. Here's this dot on a map. Where are we actually flying? No one would know. It, it's, it's a meaningless, it's a meaningless measure of money because it's not the measure of money that matters. It's the flow that matters. And right. M2 okay. isn't going to show you that flow in particular. It's M2 is, is, is effectively deposits and the flow of deposits if you're going to measure that in any meaningful way to understand, you know, some sort of causal effect, you have to understand where what I'm going to call fiscal flows, where the government spending is. Because if I have $100 on deposit and I go buy a treasury with that $100, that's going to decrease M2. But no no money went away there. <laughs> I still very much have money. If, uh, if all I had, if they printed out treasuries and all I had was that $100 treasury uh, and, and, you know, that's all I had to pay with. No one's going to be like, nope, I'm not going to take it. <laughs> it you know, it's, it's right. money that pays interest. Um, M- M2 so, is, M2 is treasuries. Uh, M1 is currency. I, I don't think, I, th- I think if I buy a treasury with, uh, with my deposit, that would decrease the deposits and therefore decrease M2. I could be wrong about that. Uh, again, <laughs> you're just not going to hear any discussion of M2, but let's talk about, Okay. I, are you are you sure about that? <laughs> does well, I, I'm looking it up now, but I'm just. Does M2 include? What is M2? Tre- M2 uh, M1, M2, M3 is a measurement of the United States money supply known as money aggregate uh, aggregates. M1 includes money in circulation plus check deposits in banks. M2 includes M1 plus savings deposits, less than a hundred thousand dollars. And money market mutual funds. M3 includes M2 plus large time deposits in banks. So that would be, that would be bank reserves, right? I don't. I, yeah, I, I don't know what the definition of M3 would actually include. Okay. Maybe, maybe if there are some monetarists in chat, they can clue us in. They um, are. They are. Uh, people are chiming in in chat. Okay. But. Okay. I, I'm. I'm pretty certain that if I buy an asset like a treasury with with a deposit that would decrease M2. Uh, I, I do feel moderately comf- comfortable saying that, confident saying, yeah, maybe I'm wrong, but let me know. Well, uh, isn't it just a, a asset swap? Yeah, correct. Yeah, that's my that's my point is it's very, I mean, it's very misleading, right? I mean, everyone right now is, uh, is saying, you know, look, M2 is crashing, M2 is crashing, right? If you look over year over year change in M2, right? I think it's actually contracting year over year at this point, right? Which is like the first time in a very long time that it's contracted year over year. Um, and, and my point is it's not telling you anything because what, what, what I would call a much more accurate definition of the money supply is the fact that the government's printing out <laughs> tons of money right now It's printing out trillions of extra dollars than it did two, three years ago. Uh, well, I guess three, four years ago now at this exact same time in the pre COVID era, um, every, you know, every single year, billions every single month because of the, the higher interest rate, uh, and the, the additional interest income. 
And uh, that's not being counted in M2 because it's all immediately. I mean, they're also issuing the bonds immediately. So it's not being counted in the money supply, but it's a crap ton of money and it's real. And I, I mean, it goes to capitalize the banks. It's It makes people wealthier uh, because they have assets now that are paying, uh, that are paying uh, interest on them. So, uh, and, and that was actually, I mean, going back to the trading stuff months ago now, uh, actually at the end of 2022, I put out on my Twitter, uh, my, my Twitter page, and it's, it's one, it's one of the tweets that will be, uh, uh, pinned. I have a little thread there that's pinned. That was my, my kind of bull case for 2023. While everyone was calling for a recession, it was very clear to me because they saw things like M2 contracting, like, ah, the money supply is contracting. This is going to be terrible. Um, and the fed's going to raise interest rates. This is going to be terrible. I'm saying no. And you know, M2 is a terrible measure of money to begin with. And two, the government's just printing out loads of money right now. Uh, in, because I mean, of interest rates. Yeah. Because of the higher interest rates. Yeah. 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 Let, me, let me swing all the way back because I want to make sure that we have the 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 base case the the the, the groundwork built up for you know kind of what MMT is and how MMT yeah. sees money. Um, Look, uh, we talk about MMT on the show, and the chief complaint that we get is that people don't really understand it. We're talking about it at too high a level. So I had kind of hoped maybe you could help us get past that, and you could explain it just simplified. Yep. Let's let's do it. Let's do right. it. <laughs> like when I I say things like that's just an asset swap, an asset swap, and people are like, yeah. "What the hell is that?" Yeah. The 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 kind of the one of the most. I mean, there are a handful of very important observations that MMT makes. Hold on, let's let's yeah, start here. It. Let me just ask, like, what one of the common charges that I get is that MMT is not in any way unique. The only thing MMT says is said by neoclassical economics or Keynesian economics, and it, it really has nothing new to offer. What is, what is unique about MMT? <laughs> the only thing that's actually truly unique that no one has mm -hmm. ever stumbled across before Warren Mosler stumbled across it truly is uh, the fact that when the government uh, when the government issues treasuries, that that is a reserve drain for the banks. That was a unique observation by Warren Mosler. Everything else that's ever been said by MMTers is something that's been observed or understood by some other school of thought. MMT is just bringing all these schools of thought together and stating in, in today's, you know, in today's situation uh, that a lot of the things that we hear, whether it be mainstream media or politicians are just factually inaccurate, right? That, uh, you know, we have to borrow to spend or, uh, you know, we're spending today and our kids are going to have to pay it back tomorrow or China uh, owns us because they own a bunch of our debt, right? Uh, I mean, that's that's really where kind of MMT started from a, a popular standpoint is just to kind of debunk those myths, right? We, we're not run like a, you know, kind of the common analogy. We're not run, the monetary system is not run like a household uh, that, that is a, a infactual, <laughs> a very misleading uh, 180 degree opposite analogy for how monetary op operations and, and the economy actually works. Is spending uh, comes, spending comes first seems like a unique thing that MMT has that you know, most people believe taxes before the government can spend a dollar, it has to tax a dollar. Yep. Most people believe that MMT is the first system that I really, that really just turns that on its head and says, no, the government spends first and taxation is the last part of the, the puzzle. Is that unique to MMT? I don't, I don't remember reading about anything like that in neoclassical economics. 
yeah, I don't think neoclassical economics would have understood that that point. I, I do think they think uh, like I, I don't know where they actually think money comes from. I think that's one of the big uh, that's one of the big things. A lot of MMTers how they eventually become MMTers out of the neoclassical world is they don't have an answer for kind of where money comes from. Technically, though, that observation is not unique. Before uh, uh, before let's just say. Yeah, kind of monetarism took off. So uh, before, let's just say the 1900s, that's pretty well known. Uh, at least you see it out there uh, that it's pretty well known that the government spends and then taxes back that spending, that that's kind of what government spending is. It's it's not until kind of the rise of modern neoclassical understanding and, and, and monetarism where this idea is that, you know, money is something like gold uh, and that that extrapolates out that. And that's why we're all familiar with that, because that's what was embedded in the textbooks. That's what the neoclassicals built upon. And uh, and MMT kind of just rediscovered this reality. So in one sense, yeah, MMT is, is very much on, on the front of saying, uh, look, you, you got this backwards. And, and, and so the, this is a point I want to get at. The criticism is fair that MMT doesn't say anything new. That's true. But we've also been having from Obama to Rand Paul to, you know, you name the politician over the last uh, at least my lifetime as an adult, 20, 25 years uh, that I've been in, in, you know, observing the political and economic world around us. Every single person has always said, oh, we're just going to have to borrow from China. Our kids are going to have to pay this off, yada, yada, yada. So clearly, MMT is saying something new to today's audience that no one else is saying because those things are just factually inaccurate. And if a politician is saying that we're going to run out of money or whatever, uh, that, that that is just inaccurate, a stupid thing to say, and you know completely misses the uh, the, mon- the the details of the monetary system and and how it and how it actually operates and so yeah if anyone says this is new then I'm just going to say well where the hell were you when Obama was saying that uh, that we just don't have any more money to borrow that China's not going to lend us any more money or where, you know when any politician left or right is saying these nonsense things where were you to quickly say no you're not correct uh, no one was saying that uh, are, and, are you, know, you afraid of overspending at all. I mean, I do think about over overspending in terms of resources. How MMT that, explains it. So, there's, there's a yeah, that is the one spot where I, I I mean I we have limited resources, right? Uh, yes. If 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 I were to explain MMT in one of two ways, way number one would be a framework for analysis. Way number two would be it's a political decision, right? And the political decision part is we have a political decision to make. We, we don't have a financial constraint in this country. That is not something we have as a country that issues its own currency, as a country that uh, taxes back its own cur- currency, as a country that doesn't I, peg I think, though, to anything. When, pe- when, when you, people say, you know, we don't have the money, they what they're thinking, though, is that we have a resource constraint. I understand that. That we we don't have a monetary constraint, but we do actually have a resource constraint. Like I, I we I have been communicating with a lot of people with this new understanding of MMT, and I mean it's difficult for me to say, you know, what is the right size of the deficit? Obviously, I believe that the deficit can be too small, but there is a <laughs> obviously the deficit can be too big as well, yeah. depending upon the number of resources. I, our government, though, doesn't really keep track of any of the the resource side of the equation, which is just bonkers as far as I'm concerned. So the, the, the way I would put this then uh, is that 
the 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 size of government, the spending in government needs to be as big as necessary to get to full employment or near full employment, right? Because the, the, because you're viewing employment as a resource that's going wasted. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, it, it is so right now we target inflation, right, and then we target employment. I would just I would switch those. I would say. Government needs to spend to ensure employment that we are always fully employed with the hope, with the with the, not even the hope, but but with the mandate that when we do reach full employment, uh, when we're at full employment, that that employment be able to flow into the private sector. Right. So we should always prioritize the private sector. If the private sector isn't there for whatever reason, you know, whatever the business cycle might be, we should be prioritizing uh, the private sector. But if the private sector isn't there to employ, we should employ uh, via government spending. And and that would be that would be my case. And that's kind of like the that's and the reason for this is is because unemployment by definition is you're looking for dollars and you can't find in dollars uh, for work, right? Or for hire, right? So you're willing to work for dollars, but there's no one willing to hire you for dollars, right? It's the fact that those dollars uh, are not in existence. That's why you're unemployed. And the reason they're not in existence is because the government isn't issuing them, right? So it's it's the government that causes unemployment and we want full employment, you because want I, full, full employment. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I want I'm a three, I want a three day work week. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, my, my under, <laughs> look, and I, I've talked to Warren Mosler about this, and I, I'm skeptical of the job guarantee because obviously, mm-hmm. you're going to have to turn labor into some sort of product that that adds to the GDP. If you hire people to dig holes in the ground and they don't actually incru- improve the the pile of stuff that yep. the money is being spent to buy buy you're you could still get inflation even though you've got full employment you very well could get inflation i would still argue that unemployment is worse than inflation i would argue that 2008 was worse than 2022 uh you know when we've had the, at least the two biggest kind of monetary financial crisis of our lives the inflation of 22 and the great financial crisis right that unemployment does a far more damage than inflation does uh, over the long run uh that's not to say i i want inflation per se right. um the other thing i would point out though too is there's no reason to believe that if the government does something that it will be necessarily more wasteful than the private sector, right? This I is a, yeah, I, I don't this, accept that claim. This is an argument that I hear a, a lot from uh, definitely in the Austrian school and something that that I, I think I, I definitely would have agreed with years ago. And that would be something that the, you know, the, the, by definition, the government's going to misallocate resources, right? There's this misallocation of resources uh, with the government and that they're going to be more wasteful or something like that. And I would just simply say, I think I think the private sector is pretty damn wasteful, right? I, I mean, we just had I don't know how much it took to to stand up threads, but I, I bet it cost <laughs> I bet it cost uh, Meta billions to stand up threads and no one's I mean, it's a huge waste. The metaverse, a huge waste. Uh, there used to be a fight over Blackberry and Apple iPhones, but one wins out and one's all in the trash, a huge way, a huge waste. I think what a lot of people end up seeing is they end up seeing all the successes of the private sector, which I absolutely want. I understand how capitalism works. I want private enterprise. I want capitalism. I want all of this, right? But the successes of capitalism are all succeeding and living and thriving on the graveyard of every dead endeavor that capitalism has ever put forward. So for every bridge to nowhere that the government builds, there's a Microsoft Zune (laughs) 
<laughs> in someone's right. no, closet okay. right now. So, so we both they're, e- look, they're equally wasteful. We both agree that the private sector and the public sector can waste, and that a lot of people have this this wrong belief that one is, you know, can do no wrong, and the other all they do is wrong. Mm. I, I'm obviously not one of those people, but what a so let's get back to the MMT story just to yep. rough out some something like if I I say if what is MMT I I don't I have no idea I'm someone viewing this for the very first time what is MMT Yeah uh MMT is a framework for analysis again I'm just going to go back to that to that line it's a framework for analysis so when the when the uh, effectively what, what MMT realizes is that is that the that when the government spends, as I'm mean, going to just real quick to put this piece in there, when the government spends, we, we went over this. When the government spends, that becomes financial assets for the private sector, right? But eventually, the government wants this money back, right? It has reasons for this. We can talk about it, right? But it's going to tax this money back, right? Right. Right. So it's going to create this currency that it's going to say, look, in a year from now, you got to give me, you know, I'll pay you a hundred bucks, but in a year from now, you got to give me back 10 of them, right? And so that creates that creates the foundation for the private sector, right? So the private mm-hmm. sector now, anyone who lives in that private sector has to pay this currency tax, right? And the government's issued 100 of those out there, right? And the government says, I want 10 of those back. And so that's going to create people to work for them. And that's awesome, right? I mean, it's going to create innovation. It's going to create everything we want out of the private sector. But eventually that money, they want their, their $10, they want their $10 back, and that uh, and that eventually gets paid back. So the and the reason and, and again it's a, like an MMT observation that uh, is is kind of at least rediscovered by MMT is that what's driving the use of the dollar, otherwise worthless piece of paper, is the fact that we want all of these things to eventually pay taxes. Now, even if you or I don't pay taxes, the company that we're going to buy something has going to have a tax bill, right? So they're going to want to accept those for transaction costs or whatever, right? So that's what uh, that's what's driving this currency in the MMT world. We say that the uh, the state is the monopoly issuer of the currency. They're the only ones that can either issue it or grant some other entity to issue it on their behalf. Uh, and that is that is another kind of key tenet of of what MMT is. So. The MMT story is the government wants to provision itself, right? It wants an army. It wants to build a bridge. Let's let's use the bridge example. It wants to build a bridge. It's going to issue that currency out to, to the bridge maker. The bridge maker is going to build the bridge for the government. The government now has the bridge, which is their asset. They have a liability on their balance sheet, which is now, let's just say it was a billion dollar bridge. So they have a liability of a billion dollars and the bridge maker now has a financial asset that used to have, you know, whatever materials they needed for the bridge. They now have a financial asset, which is that billion dollars. And voila, you have a functioning state economy with a currency. And from there, that bridge maker can use that, uh, what did I say, a billion dollars. They can use that billion dollars however they choose. Likely, they will deposit that in the bank. And now all of a sudden you have a capitalized banking sector as well. So- in summary, <laughs> 60 seconds, government spends, that becomes net financial assets for the private sector. The private sector will save that money, invest that money, put it in the banking sector. That creates the foundation for the banking sector. The banking sector then is what you know ultimately you and I would go to to get money, right? If you and I have an idea, we're going to get a loan from a bank. Uh, we can explain that. Uh, your, your conversation that I listened to with uh, Anthony Davies really messed that part up. We'll get into that, exactly how banks make money, don't make money, what you know how that process works. But we'd go to a bank. 
to, you know, come up with the next iPhone or whatever to create that. We'd get a loan, we'd create that. And that creates, that creates the private sector that we all love. And then eventually the government's like, Hey, I want my tax <laughs> for whatever reason. And, uh, they're going to get the tax back. And, uh, that's how the cycle happens. Well, and if they tax back the entire billion dollars for the bridge, because yeah. our whole our whole economy is one billion dollars now for in this thought experiment for a bridge, then the money supply is gone, right? Because there's no <laughs> technically no. All right, let's let's do because this is yeah. This, I mean, it's a really good question. Okay, what has been depleted is net financial savings. <laughs> okay, at at this point. There are dollars still in existence. I'm going to tell you how they get there. But net financial savings, gone. Zero. If the government says uh, whatever the whatever the debt is right now, $31 trillion, <laughs> you got it. You, you got to pony up tomorrow, $31 trillion. There's still like $40 trillion, uh, worth of dollars left out there. Maybe even more. Be right? Oh, because of uh, the loans. Yeah, the exactly. Loans. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. But on net, that net's to zero. Right. right right if if well, uh, yeah okay so if if the if the bridge is is if the government taxes back for the bridge and doesn't run a deficit and everybody pays off their loans because loans also yeah, create, yeah, yeah 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 then we yeah. have no money supply yeah that and yeah okay so let's let's, let's <laughs> now get we're getting in, somewhere <laughs> let's get into this okay let's, so let's, there's okay. two so there's two places that that money comes yeah. from money <laughs> comes from government Money comes from government spending and money comes from loans. A lot of people think that if I go to the bank to get a mortgage, I want to buy a home, that that money is somebody else's savings. That's not really how mm -hmm. the modern economy works. I'll go, you go ahead and explain it, Doug. Yeah, yeah, this is it. This is where we're, okay. So our bank, uh, I'm sorry, our bridge maker has deposited, actually our bridge maker is hooked up with a bank and they've mm -hmm. said, hey, can can you invest this money? I'll give you equity shares of my bank. Can you invest this money to capitalize a bank? And then that bank is going to go to the federal government and say, hey, can I have a charter? And that charter is now going to allow the bank to create money out of thin air, right? So right. now we have two entities that are going to create money. And how does this work? All right. Uh, you've decided that, uh, that uh, hurricanes in California are just too much for you. So you're going to move. Uh, no you're way. Gonna move. I love it here. California is amazing. <laughs> I don't care. Move. You're, you're gonna you're gonna hear I'm about just how gonna much get fun. a BB gun and get these homeless people <laughs> off my doorstep. You're, you're 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 hearing how much fun I'm having out in Michigan, and you want to move to Michigan, right? Um, how that would happen then is someone's gonna come and they're gonna want to buy your house, but they don't have any money, right? right. And just for a thought experiment too, there's no money at all, right? Let's just say there's no money at all, right? Uh, everything that's been in, uh, thoroughly invested in this bank, right? And so there's no money now. How are we going to do this? Well, the bank has a bank charter. So what's going to happen is uh, let's say let's say Sitch wants to buy, uh, let's say Sitch wants to buy your house, right? He's got no money. Uh, because people started i'm coming for you yeah yeah people stopped super chatting and he's got no more money to buy a house um what's going to happen is he's going to go to a bank and say hey can you get me a loan and the bank's going to be like okay you've you actually do have some income uh people started super chatting again but clearly you don't have the you know you don't you don't have the 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 four million dollars it's going to take to buy a home in california right now but you got a good income you got a good oh income. i like it sits has yeah, agreed yeah, yeah. to buy my home for four million four million dollars i like this so, thought experiment whoa 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 so what's gonna what's gonna happen is Sitch is now going to way overpay for Adam's home and uh, put himself it's a good into investment. The, yeah, yeah, it's a good investment. It really is. 
So what's going to happen is the bank is going to say, great, we can we can do this. We've checked you out. You have the this, this point I'm bringing up about the income is very important. We'll, we'll come back to that. But you've got the income necessary to get this loan. And so what we're going to do is we're going to make this loan from you. And how this ends up happening is the three of you all sit down at a table and you all sign off and say, yep, I and they call it closing. And I'll sit, you know, sit down. The bank, you and the buyer are all going to sit down at the table. You're going to go through the closing. And what's happening in the closing is all in one fell swoop. The bank is creating a loan that is now their asset in Sitch's liability. All right. So Sitch right. now has a mortgage that's a liability for $4 million. And the bank now has a loan that's an asset for $4 million. Right. The bank also now has a deposit of $4 million, which is your deposit, Adam, now your asset, right. which is now $4 million. So- in our thought experiment for at least a brief moment, we had no money on the table at all. Now we have $4 million in financial assets. We were able to swap the house from you to Adam. I'm sorry, from you to Sitch. Well, let me, let me you try now to, have the money. Let me try to simplify it here. Sitch, yeah. is, Sitch is making a promise to pay $4 million. That promise, yep. that piece of paper is worth $4 million. So they're... Yep. I'm selling that $4 million promise to the bank and the bank is giving me $4 million for it. And Effectively, bank, yep. And yep. the bank is obviously going to collect on the promise over time. Yes. So, and yeah. once that, once Sitch has paid the $4 million, that, that money just goes all, to heaven. It's all gone. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's no longer on the balance sheet. Exactly. Those financial yeah. assets have been destroyed. So, so that's why, that's why we, when we say, okay, 30, it's 31 trillion in government spending deficit, but there are also 41 trillion dollars in outstanding loans that people have taken for all kinds of things. This is the process of money being created. So, yep. and that creating that loans expands the money supply, and paying off those loans contracts the money supply in the same way that taxing and spending contracts and and expands the money supply. So. So let's let's do this. Let's take this even further and let's look at the problem with the bank money situation. Well, this we're going to call this the endogenous money. So this money right. has been created endogenously versus the exogenous money, which is what the government creates. So okay, you I never your, knew the difference between those yeah, two yeah, things. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I hear so it all the time. One is uh bank money we're going to call vertical, government money we call horizontal. Okay. I'm sorry. Bank money we call horizontal, government money we call vertical. Right? Why do, so, why do you call them that? Because the government's on top and they spend directly into the private sector below. Okay. Right? The horizontal money is us exchanging with each other. Okay. So vertical okay. up and down, government right to us, vertical us going to each other through the banking operation. Right. Because when we go to each other, it's just an asset swap. It's just an exchange of. Yes. The money yeah. doesn't go to heaven. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's really important, right? Because at this point, this is important to understand too, and why this whole this, this whole net financial asset as savings matters, right? Right. Because let's say, let's say you move out to you have your four million dollars. And remember, you now have a financial asset of four million dollars, but Sitch is now in debt four million dollars. Right. Right. Yes. So those offset, right? We're still at zero when that transaction right. took place. But right? that $4 million is in the economy. All Sitch did was yes. make a promise. All Sitch does is make a promise. I'm going to pay $4 million in the future. Over the next it, 30 years. Yeah. And it creates the asset really is Sitch's promise. Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. Which then means too, this is a really good point. This is money, right? We just, we just discovered how money is made, yes. <laughs> right? It was never dug out of the ground, right? It was made your balance sheet operations. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's so unfun, but well, this, that's really, this is, this is one of the reasons why the gold standard drives me crazy because yeah. like, why do we need to dig gold out of the ground when people can just make promises? And, and as long as they're, you know, good to their word. Yep. We've got a financial system. Yep. Which is why really what underlies our financial system, the most important part of all of this is a stable country that enforces rule of law. Yes. I mean, that is, that is the most important part of all of this, right? Yeah. Is that you have a country that is setting out to grow, is setting out to do right by its citizenry, is uh, doing, you know, is making sure there's rule of law, justice, and all that good sort of stuff. And from there, a foundation of capitalism, free market enterprise, all that stuff can spur out, right? That, that is the necessary ingredients, right? I mean, the reason the dollar reigns supreme in the world to this day is because we have the most reliable justice system. And the reason why things like January 6th are concerning to me is because it undermines some of that. I mean, I, I, there's so many politics I can just be like, eh, okay, that's dumb. I'll move along. But some Look of the stuff this. that- Doug never talks about politics on his oh, no, channel. No, no. He's like, yeah. he's yeah, here. No, no. He's like, thank yeah. God I can talk about <laughs> politics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but it, I mean, that is, to, to me, that is really the biggest risk to our economy is undermining the rule of law because that's what undermines that that is that is the that is the foundation that we have that says I'm good for the money right I mean that is how this all works right it's I mean it goes back to our, our very tribal instincts that uh, that you know start off you know the Austrians will say you know probably how money started off is uh, you know a couple people ended up on an island one person went and got the sheep on this island the other person built the houses on the island and the other person. I don't know what they did, caught some fish, right? And and eventually they're like, well, you know, we need some sort of medium of exchange and these shells look good. And then eventually gold was chosen because it's got nifty godlike properties or whatever, right? And All that's of how that we get, is bullshit. That, that is how we get money. No, how it happens is everyone who does anything knows there's like a cyclical nature to what you do, right? You can only shear sheep, uh, I don't know, so often. Yeah, I don't know how often, but you know, your crops only grow once a year, right? And these things go for various cycles, right? You fish in the summer, you, you don't fish in the winter unless, you know, you have a drill to get in the ice, but you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, so totally. like, uh, you, you know, Hey man, I see you're building some, some rafts. Um, I'm going to give you an, how about this? I'm going to give you an IOU for some rafts. And then, uh, in the summertime, when I go out fishing, you can claim that IOU, right? Now that only works if you have some sort of authoritative apparatus to ensure that there's some sort of value to this IOU and that there's some sort of an agreement that gets agreed upon into the future. And, uh, you know, early on it was religion and religion was the authoritative, you know, the authoritative uh, uh, kind of apparatus and the the tax that effectually, effectively you know, push this process forward was, you know, you know, pay, pay your tie to the gods and the priest would eat it. And, you know, every, you know, it worked, right. I mean, it created, it created a private sector that could, that could thrive even in ancient times. And so it was the IOU that is money. And this is, uh, we'll get back to the bank thing in a second, but this is really important that if you, if, if, if this can make sense to you, that it's an IOU is money, the rest of MMT can kind of fall in place and, uh, and, and at least the framework for analysis, and we can get to policy prescriptions later and that sort of thing, but at least the framework for analysis is, is sound and it's, and it's understood. And then from there, uh, we, we can stop with, you know, really, really bad takes that, uh, you know, we're not going to have the money or whatever to, 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 to do things. But, so uh, I love this because it, it is, 
it does simplify it, and I feel like maybe to the point where people can actually understand it. So the so money is basically an IOU. So if I imagine if everyone is just giving IOUs to one another, you know, I I, I buy Doug's Douglas's program and I just give him an IOU. I'm not going to give him money. I'm going to give him an IOU. So if he just if if enough faith is placed in my IOU, he can give that IOU to somebody else and buy something else. That's basically how money comes into existence. It's just this these floating IOUs. Yep. So and and. Uh, Linking it to the justice system is perfect because, you know, as long as we have the rule of law, as long as we have some assurances that people are going to keep their promises, then the whole system works. Yes. Yep. So you wanted to move on to government spending? Yeah, we got to come back to this, too, because there are some good stuff on this whole thing, too, because, I, you know, I I don't know what Chad's saying, but I know a common a common retort to this uh or just i mean a common thread here is you know what about the gold standard yada 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 right y- y- you know but don't, well, don't i you, want to yeah i i you saw us in on twitter like i want to come up with some debate strategy to debate some of these gold standard people just yeah, because yeah, it is yeah. a constant i just i don't get the i don't i don't I don't think in terms of that. I understand what they want. Like they want basically to think that their money has some sort of, well, they, they're worried about inflation more than anything. But yep. I don't necessarily know the way to fight that. I'm going to put a link to the chat in the, in the zoom chat. So okay. if you want to yeah, bring yeah. the chat up, you can. So you can see what people I, I are get, saying. I get I mean, so I get so distracted during my own live streams okay, watching so chat. Don't, but you don't have to. I, but, I like I'm keep, so, somewhat. If keep there are good questions that are coming out, by all means. Uh, well, there is the, there's, uh, the Zoom chat. No, you don't have to look at our chat. You can ignore them, our chat. Send them my way. Well, no, I put the our the, chat the in the Zoom chat, chat if you want to bring it up. But you want to read some of the super chats? I mean, there's brick sure. notes is like fifty bucks. So uh, brick notes for fifty dollars says my big question with MMT is. How does it compare in stability to previous economic systems? What concrete proof is there that it works in practice? And is it already being implemented any anywhere as the driving economic philosophy before the USA adopts it? Well, it, it already is adopted, though. I mean, MMT is how the United States run runs, even though politicians don't necessarily believe it. <laughs> That's that true, is the right? correct. That is the correct answer. <laughs> Uh, all right. I'm going to get myself in some trouble. Why not? Let's have some fun. Okay. I, th- th- there are, there are some politicians that I wish just kind of never got on our side. Uh-oh. <laughs> as far just... as MMT goes, are you talking about AOC? Uh, the, there will be no ill talk of AOC on our beloved. Street. There will be all of the ill talk. Um, uh, th- th- there is, there are some things that I'm very happy that AOC has said. Right. Um, but, Attaching MMT to something to the extent of spend whatever you want, deficits don't matter, yada, 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 is just not good framing. It's not and, helpful. Yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not, it's not helpful framing. $75 trillion for the Green New Deal is not necessarily a, Correct. Good, a good way Correct. to be introduced to MMT. Um, but then I also, to a certain extent too, when you have guys like Rand Paul running around, like I, I also, I mean, he's, he's just as, I mean, he's AOC has a far better understanding of macroeconomics than Rand Paul does. Oh right? yeah, definitely. Wow. Like, like, yes. So, um, but there's also things that just are not helpful. 
in terms of the framing from a political side to say, I guess really the only thing that really bothers me is to call any any uh, you know government policy idea an MMT idea. There, there is no such thing as an MMT government policy idea, right? Um, MMT just explains the monetary system as it operates today, right? I, I've yet to see or have a debate or have a discussion with anyone who's shown me that the tenets of MMT are theoretically incorrect right and 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 i i don't i don't have any i'm not a far left guy like that's not my i, I just i'm not in this for the, the leftist activism side um well you're worried yeah. about january 6th so obviously you have to be somewhat of a far left guy by, yeah exactly by, exactly <laughs> exactly uh at least yeah. by our chat standard but Anyway. Yeah, I, I, but I'm not. Anyone could have done that. It didn't have to be Trump. I, I mean, it could have been anybody could have done that, right? Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, and it was going to happen sooner or later. Uh, but the, but the reason is too to get to that point why January 6 is 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 concerning, and not January 6 per se, but you know what it means is is what what underlies that whole agreement, right? This in the in the MMT world we call this reciprocity, right? I'm I'm paying you back for what you did for me, right? You did a good for you, did a solid for me, as the kids say, mm -hmm. they did back when I was a kid. You know, I'm 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 helping you back now, right? The whole reason that that works, and the whole reason this whole dollar thing works, that it's able to, you know, we're all able to settle on this dollar, is because the government collects it for a tax, and they're going to say, hey. If there's a business fallout here, right? Uh, let's let's say you know, since you bought Adam's house, and it turns out because of the hurricane, it's all flooded, and he didn't disclose that. There's a legal system that you can go to and say, "Hey, I didn't get what I paid for here," right? And the reason that that legal system is so important is because that actually gives the value to the dollar, right? That's what's giving the value to the dollar. The fact yes. that uh, the, the fact that you can go get uh you can be made right if you've been made wrong in a business decision is what is driving that currency uh, i mean it's that's why at this point the 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 chinese yuan is not going to take over because there's no guarantee that if you have a bit bad business deal that there's going to be any sense of uh there's going to be any sense of uh proper justice in that in, in in that situation but in the u.s for the most part we have that it's absolutely eroding i don't disagree and it's both sides it's the left and the right no disagreement there um I, i'm you know for the most part adam i'm probably like you i'm a leftist guy who's wow. fairly upset at the left because they're undermining the very things that they should uphold and promote more than anything else if they truly want the progressive steps forward that they need uh to make a better society and the most important thing is just a fairness in the justice system and that you know from an economic standpoint that's so that's so critical uh, a lot of the big MMTers that people should be listening to, or at least MMT adjacent, Nathan Tankus, Rowan Gray, they're coming at it from the legal side, and they're absolutely right to come at it from the legal side because that—I mean—that is—that is why we have this you know, kind of amazing society that we do have that we've been able to build is because of that, and we are undermining it uh, left and right, and that is concerning, and that's the only concern that I have with January six is it does seem to undermine. Uh, you know, kind of that core credibility of, of what it means to have a fair justice system. But uh, I'll digress there. Going back to the question, so is the answer to the question that the U.S. has already adopted MMT, even if it's not? Yeah, exactly. So we realizing we already, it, we already are. I mean, every every time we spend on anything, it, MMT is right in how it operates, right? Uh, even down to even down to you know at every detail of it, right? Well, but uh, I, I think the question is like, is there a country where the people in charge of fiscal policy have a 
conscious decision like i am understanding this through an mmt lens i don't think there's a country no okay no no there's no country that's that's actively operating and saying yep we're an mmt or we're aiming for full employment or anything like that yeah gotcha. no at this point all countries still aim for some sort of inflation target because Back in 1920, some bad things happened with inflation that led to some other bad things, and rightfully so. I, I mean, obviously, that's a big concern. But uh, um, at this point, there's no nation that I'm familiar with that's saying, "Yeah, we're you know, we see ourselves as a nation that's you know, a, a central bank that's saying, yep, this this MMT stuff is right, uh, and we're going to operate from that perspective." Mm-hmm. Uh, someone said you kind of brought this. You guys were talking earlier about how the bank makes money. And, and Magus asks, in the scenario where the bank makes money for doing less than either man, where the bank just gets a charter, I guess, it just makes money, uh, the should the, the bank should not get any usury or interest. We need less line go up mentality. How do you feel about that? Speak up, Sitch. <laughs> Stop whispering. <sighs> What are you I know you about? just got I know you just got up. <laughs> Maybe you need to turn my audio up then, because it's literally the same it always is. Okay. Is anything different? It's yeah. no, yeah, you're speaking louder. No, I just turned my <laughs> mic up like to the maximum on Zoom. So when I scream, it'll be great. So it's a it's a very good question. I, I don't disagree with him on the question. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um I'm sorry. With 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 uh, I, I do disagree with them. There should be interest charged. I mean, that's how the bank is. So the bank has a function, right? The bank's function when that happens is they're going to look at usage and they're going to say, "Do you have the income required to buy that house?" Right? And they're going to make an assessment on the risk based on your income, right? And mm-hmm. that costs money to do, right? I mean, someone's got to run those numbers, and you know, the the bank has to. Uh, hire you know various bookkeepers and stuff like that, and they've got to go hire people to go look out to you know where are the needs for money in 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 the local community, right? And and they've got to be able to assess that, and in order to pay that overhead, they've they've got to charge, and the way to do that is with the interest rate. Um, where, where I do agree though, and and where kind of the banking system has gone awry, is banks are allowed to create loans for absolutely anything, and then most importantly, they're allowed to then. I mean, I, there's a limit to this, but most importantly, they're then allowed to package those loans and sell them off to the financial sector. That is, you know, if if uh, if I became king, this isn't necessarily pure MMT, but it, it would definitely be a conclusion from MMT uh, that would make sense. I'd get rid of a lot of uh, a lot of the financial sector, like 95% of the financial sector. I would wow. certainly make it to where the banks have to keep the loans they make on their books. That they're not allowed to sell them off to larger financial institutions. That if a bank is going to go out create a loan for someone, that they have to assume that risk. And that's how the banking system should operate. I mean, it 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 would take care of a lot of the ills that we have in banking. Um, it would, you know, to a certain extent, help put a cap on a lot of the price runaway that we see uh, in assets like homes and stuff. Uh, anything that you need a mortgage for, or any, I mean, anything that you're going to need a large loan for, uh, it's going to put a cap on 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 the ability for these banks to just look the other way when when all mm-hmm. you know all they're trying to do is uh, just get that loan out the door. So the sentiment I agree with. I think there are better ways that you can go, especially, you know, part of this too is we're not getting rid of interest, right? But there are ways, there are regulations. The way that, that again, the, the guy I look up to, I think has usually the best ideas on this, Warren Mosler, you know, the way he puts it is right now, essentially banks are allowed to create loans for whatever the hell they want and they're allowed to sell them in whatever manner they want. And that's what the bank charter does. And only until they abuse it enough to where it creates some sort of crisis where the government come in and put a regulation on. As I see it, 
since the government has already, you know, effectively banks are government entities because to a certain extent from a, I, I mean, they're, they're private. I'm not saying they're not private, but to a certain extent, the government is giving them licensure to create government money, right? So the government has every right to come in and regulate exactly how they operate. And I would start with a foundation of no bank. You're not allowed to create any loans for anything until you come to us first and say, can I create a loan for this? And then the government would say, okay, you want to create a loan to, uh, so people can buy houses. Does that serve the public purpose? Okay. Show me how, you know, there's not going to be risk in this, yada, yada, yada. Okay. Good, good, good. Yeah. I think it, I think it serves the public purpose, right? When you say go to the, you're talking about just to create like a class of loans or you're talking about for each individual person? A class. Yeah. 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 A class of loans, like mortgage. Okay. Right? Like yeah, yeah, every yeah, individual yeah, yeah. person would not yeah. require government. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so what what will end up happening then is if I if I want money to start up you know some stupid endeavor right I can't go to a bank to get that business loan right let's say it's outside of the class of business loan that I could get mm-hmm. I, I can't think of an example off the top of my head but you could come up with something really stupid that I wanted money for uh, what what would end up happening is instead of going to a bank to create a loan which creates money you would then have to go to some sort of venture capitalist, right? right? Who was just literally giving you cash at that point to to start that business up, right? And if the business fails, it fails. I mean, the person who invested in you has all the risk and they lose their money well, and so mm-hmm. be it. But um, that's not that, creating money. Obviously, venture capitalists are spending their own money. So. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that, that, that gives no risk beyond the person who gave me that money and myself, right? I mean, that's and whatever person bought my bad product, right? You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's, that's uh, that's it. So that's how I'd view banking. I think he's on the right track, um, and, right. and and kind of how I would how I would answer that question. Uh, Rick knows for another fifty dollars clarified, saying when I thank you, Rick knows says when I ask for proof, what I mean is a test, such as two countries that have a financial downturn. One treats it with a classical approach, and another takes the MMT approach. Ooh, if we yeah. already are MMT, then our economic chaos is on MMT, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So for, for the most part, the the financial system, the, the fiscal and monetary system is set up in a way where MMT, as we would say, by MMT, I think what he means is that the government is spending or something like that, right? To offset some sort of some sort of crisis, right? Th- that's already under the theory of MMT, like what what the what MMT would prescribe to fix some sort of economic problem. Yeah. Yep. So to a certain extent, we, we already have that in place, right? We, we we understand that when there's mass unemployment that's hitting, right, 2000, 2008, uh, COVID, right, that the government spends. So we have this thing called unemployment, right? You go on unemployment, unemployment starts to spend, you collect your unemployment check. And what we call that is, uh, in, in kind of the finance world, we call that uh, counter-cyclical spending. So the government already spends counter-cyclically, Right. So when the business cycle takes a downturn, the government kicks up its spending, right? And uh, it, it, it happens every time. I mean, every time we have a recession, the government kicks up spending. Um, and then on the on the flip side, uh, the government also has, uh, the flip side of the counter cyclical spending is the spending begins to wane down as uh, private activity kicks up, right? As the private sector and the economy starts to tick higher, what ends up happening is the government starts getting in higher tax receipts, Right. And so these higher tax receipts diminish the amount of government spending that's out there. And eventually that actually then leads to the inevitable crisis if the government doesn't offset that spending. But eventually uh, the next crisis happens and you start the, the cycle again from the government side. 
the in in the business cycle, on the other hand, uh, is what's called procyclical, right? So the business cycle, when things are going better, their assets are increasing. It allows them the banking sector to loan more because their financial sector, the financial side, looks better. There's more income flowing through the economy, so profits look higher, right? So the business side, the spending is always procyclical, pushing things up. And then on the reverse, when the unemployment hits. The business side is uh, again procyclical, so it's going with the cycle. It's it's pushing demand down. Right, people are getting unemployed. There's no demand out there for goods and services, so they unemploy more. So in a sense, MMT is already operating. Uh, what MMTers would say is there should just never be a financial crisis in the first place, like 2008. Right? Uh, essentially, 2008 could have just completely been offset if the government just uh, cut out something like FICA taxes, right? That's 500 bucks a month on the average paycheck. And that's what everyone needed at that point. So, uh, their houses, or they weren't going to go underwater on, on their houses and, and not going to be able to pay the mortgage on their house. And that would have stopped everything until we could have, you know, fixed the issues with the balance sheets, uh, for the banks and we wouldn't have had a crisis. So that would be an MMT prescription. Uh, may, maybe later we can start pulling up some charts well, and going over some of the, mm-hmm. uh, so going over some of the data too. And I mean, I can kind of demonstrate this in, in data form as well. Um, and, and that, that might be helpful, but. Well, I, I guess like the question is like in America, has there ever been a recession or with the inflation or some kind of issue that we had and the people that are in charge of our financial policy, whether it be Congress or the Fed or whoever, did they say, okay, you know, according to, you know, neoclassical economic theory, it says we should do X. And according to MMT, it says we should do Y. And they chose to do why MMT instead, and then it showed that it worked. Like, has that ever happened before? This is this thought experiment is really, I mean, it's in that situation. First of all, we're having to guess what they mean by MMT because MMT is a lens to look at the world. It's not really a prescription. It does. Yeah, like, but but if right, but if okay, so there MMT, there are countries in the world that peg their currency to the dollar. No, no, no. So okay. therefore, they ha- don't have any sort of fiscal sovereignty because their currency is completely dependent upon what we do. We are not necessarily dependent upon what other people do because our dollar is free floating, not dependent okay, on any that, commodity right. or currency. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying okay. is okay. So MMT is a way to look at how our economy works, just as neoclassical modern uh, monetary theory is a way to look at how our our economy works and that these two things to my understanding have different views of how they believe things work and if they have different views for how they believe things work there should be different solutions presented for how to deal with different problems or the same or the same problem right neoclassical economics generally believes that taxation comes first and spending comes last Modern monetary theory says no spending comes okay, first so and maybe, taxes maybe, come last. Okay, so maybe we should have a, a a prerequisite question, which would be, you know, let's let's use the inflation. Okay, trying they're trying to get the inflation down uh, in our country, and they've done you know they've done it or they've done a lot of it, right? So let's say we're going back in time. It's right as code, the lockdowns end, inflation's at its highest. Does classical or neoclassical monetary theory say? that you should do one thing to lower inflation and does MMT say you should do something different to lower inflation? Yes. Did you the agree MMT, with this, Douglas? The, the MMT prescription yeah. uh, would have not been to raise interest rates. The The monetarists would have said, or the neoclassicals would have said, raise interest rates and 
uh, I think what we're about to find out is that inflation is not, in fact, where the Fed wants it <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, at this point, that it actually hasn't come down to the levels that they would want it. And uh, I mean, it has come down a lot, though, right? Correct. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, I can <laughs> if you give me the time I can prove to you it's not because of the uh, the interest rate increase. Right, right, and the right. Fed, okay. and, the, and the Fed is still saying it's not where, you know, what they call kind of sticky inflation or core inflation. Um, they're not at all happy with where inflation. I mean, it, it, it's still they're, they're not happy at all with where inflation right, right. is at, which well, is why and this bonds is, continue. Well, wait, 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 wait. So sh- I, I do want to get to your point, though. It, well, which no, is, but so I just want to I want to phrase it to make sure Adam understands. Like, so to me, the, the question is that Bricknose is trying to get at is, has there been a situation uh, that we are aware of where a country, when faced with some economic challenge, did the MMT prescription versus the classical prescription and it worked? Not, I mean, not, not really on interest rates. No. Anything. Do you do you know an yeah, example? Yeah, we do. We we have some examples, not okay. of someone stepping in saying let's do MMT because no one's ever stepped in and said let's do MMT. No one even right. knew what MMT was before 2018, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so so no one's ever stepped in. But we have plenty of examples of situations where neoclassicals have said let's do what we think we need to do here, and we have the outcomes of that. The closest we've ever really had to a true MMT event was what happened post COVID. I mean, it's the closest thing we've ever had where the government said, I think we're going to get mass unemployment here. We better send out st- stimulus checks right now. No MMTers were saying, just to be clear, because the MMTers are watching this are going to just, just yell at me. No MMTers were saying we should send out stimulus checks the way that we did. Right. So j- just to be clear, mm-hmm. how it actually played out is not how M- any MMT would want it. Right. And, and you would expect some sort of price inflation given the way that we did it. Right. Even from an MMT lens, but still what was absolutely understood is we need to inject massive amounts of money into this economy to make sure it doesn't completely collapse and that the un- unemployment that we saw during covid um and the you know the, the collapse that we saw in asset prices during covid uh was going to be able to reverse right like like that we would get the bounce that we needed when the world opened back up again right so i it, to a certain extent i don't blame anyone i i i think Given all the options they had on the table, I think both Trump and Biden did everything necessary around the COVID emergency, right? In the grand scheme of things, we were able to go from 30 some odd percent unemployment to the most employed we've been since the 1960s uh, with unfortunate, like, I mean, no, no one enjoyed the inflation, but I, I put a poll out on Twitter uh, a couple months ago. What was worse for you, the inflation or the unemployment of 2008? The post-2008 period sucked in, mm-hmm. in every 90% 2008, right? Was was a worse period to be in, right? So, I mean, I think anyone who lived through 2008, who lived through today would tell you, yeah, the inflation really, really sucked. It took a year to get over. So be it, right? I mean, if that was the cost of making sure the economy didn't collapse, so be it. But we do have some examples uh, that the neoclassicals ran with where we do have the outcomes and we know we ran a surplus heading up to the dot-com bubble, right? We, the Clinton, Clinton ran a surplus for four years or whatever. We ran a surplus in real terms right before the great financial crisis. We ran a surplus before the great depression. We've run surpluses before. We've absolutely allowed the private sector to just create money and do its own thing. And it always ends in catastrophe because of the nature of the banking sector cycle, which like an hour ago, I was going to try and get to <laughs> maybe, maybe half an hour ago, I was going to try and get to, to how that ends up playing out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, th- this is this is one of the things that that I think a lot of people when, when MMT gets framed, it's like, oh, the government spends, spends, spends. 
And if it doesn't spend, there's no money. That, that's not true. The, 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 the banking sector can create its own money, right? What we're calling that horizontal money can sustain growth for a period of time. But the dynamics at place in that cycle are vastly different than the dynamics that are at place when the government spends. The government never has to tax its money back. The government money can always stay out there as savings. The government money, the the, the asset, offsetting asset, is whatever the government provisioned itself with, right? By when it when it created the money. So the liability is always your asset, right? When the government that would be spends. the bridge in the first experiment. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The bridge in the first experiment, right? And the government doesn't have to tax that back if it doesn't want to. It can, right? I mean, it can if it has it sees fit, if it needs to, but it doesn't have to. The bank's always going to want their money back, right? You always right. got to pay it, that. It didn't borrow money to build the bridge. It created Yes. Money. That's why it, it doesn't yeah, have to exactly. pay it back. <laughs> exactly. It created it. And I, you know, I, I, I need to pay that back. And that's also how the bank's going to make their cut of it, right? They're going to make their cut because they're going to get a little interest on that as well. And it's a system that, you know, it's a system that works. Um, so yeah, we've we've tried surpluses many, many times, and every single time they lead to a recession. Every time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is, I mean, one of the leading indicators that I look at is are we close to a surplus? Um what's interesting, actually, uh if you want to get to this now, we well, did no, get a let sur- me let me say one thing before we if we're gonna move on. I just because I think it's trying to get at the question that Brick knows is actually asking. Like I think what they're looking for is something that would be proof that the the MMT lens is accurate. And I do think there's an example with the interest rates. Like there's, yeah, yeah. A, there's a conflict right now between neoclassical economic uh, economists and MMT economists because they, they say raising interest rates will limit the number of loans going out and that's the way that they're going to shrink the money supply or not grow the money supply. So as people pay off their loans, if no more loans are being made, the money supply is actually going to shrink. And the MMT people usually say, well, interest rates really don't have that big effect. And they also have a a side effect in that when you raise interest rates, the government is literally spending money on the interest of the deficit. So if you have a $31 trillion deficit, you're going to get a lot of government spending and government spending obviously grows the the uh, money supply so the mmt economists say what the fed is doing right now by raising interest rates to try to fight inflation is wrong they should actually lower interest rates and that would fight inflation because it would stifle the government spending on interest rates uh so that would yes and but no one's ever tried that right doug douglas Cor- correct correct yes. Let's let's do this. Um, I I'm so glad you brought this up because to a certain extent, you know, there were a handful of us MMTers. Not everyone in the MMT camp agreed, but there were a handful of us in the MMT camp. Myself, you have Warren Mosler, a couple of guys I'm working with at the Applied MMT podcast, who all understood that as the interest rate started to rise at the end of last year, and everyone was claiming everyone was calling for a recession in 2023. That we understood we were buying stocks. We were like yeah, the stock yeah, market's yeah, going to yeah. go up. <laughs> Yeah, if if you don't mind me sharing my screen, if that's all right, I'm gonna share my I'm gonna share a Twitter thread that I posted uh, that has some yeah that kind of steps steps through this right. Is that good? Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's I make sure. So. Uh, I I should, it should just. Come I, I in. should have it. Yeah. Let me just make sure I'm sharing the right screen. Uh, 
is it me now or is it <laughs> all right yeah. hopefully you guys are seeing this uh is it sharing on stream yeah no it's great yeah and i've got this i can't hear anybody now so you can't hear me can't oh hear. there we go there we go okay oh. now i can hear now i can hear all right uh, unfortunately this bar oh it's gone now okay Let, let's do this let me actually uh, switch back are you guys seeing the uh well, we my, see my, my desktop at this point on stream adam I'm I'm working on fixing oh, okay. that, so gotcha. just FYI, okay. I like. It. Okay, um, I, for whatever I've got like the whole XLR setup, and for whatever reason, my audio does cut in and out while I'm sharing a screen. <laughs> it's always been an issue. So if I, if I don't hmm. if, if I don't hear it, uh, hear you, you know, let me know, and I'll I don't know, Adam, wave your hands or something. But I'm just going to go through this. So hopefully, I'm centered at this point. What I want to do, actually, this is um, one of the key things that I track right here, this is effectively the, the net deficit, right. For the U S government in real terms, right. So we're going back to 1970s gray bars, the, the, the gray sh shaded areas are going to be the, uh, are going to be the recession. Right. And part of the reason we had such a terrible time with inflation and, 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 um, it, we had inflation and we had recessions in the 1970s is because in real terms, we were not actually in a surplus, right? We were in a, uh, I'm sorry, we were in a surplus, not in a deficit, right? So let's just go through a few examples that we're all probably relatively more more aware of uh, in, in recent times. Wait, so the dot-com bubble, the, we ran a- Just one second, going back to the late 70s. So, because you know when I've heard like Mark Blythe and people talk about this, they usually put the blame on inflation was very high because of labor's power. And are you saying it's also- or it's because there's a, a surplus. Is that the issue? A government surplus? I got to stop sharing. I'm sorry, man. You were, you were cutting up so bad there. Oh, when I was sorry. sharing my screen. No, Go so ahead. No, no, no. Yeah. Whenever I've heard, I've heard like Mark Blythe and other people talk about the late 70s economy, they point the finger usually at labor having so much power that it drove up the cost of employment, which is what drove up inflation combined with the oil embargo. And are you saying that there's another element there that's very key, which was that the government had a surplus? In real terms, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know every component that could have driven up inflation, but mm -hmm. for whatever reason, let's just for, for the time being, for whatever okay. reason, inflation was high in the 1970s. And so in inflation adjusted terms, we were running a surplus. We we just, you know, in, in that sense then, right, if you're running a surplus, that means the government money is done, right? It's going back to the government. We have no government money to add aggregate demand to add into the economy, right? So if we're running a surplus, that's we are now uh, we we are now fully reliant on the business cycle to create those loans that we were talking about to add the growth right and when you are running a surplus and there's no government money that that cycle is unstable I mean it's just the nature of the cycle there's nothing wrong with it being unstable uh, per se but that is just the, the capitalist cycle is inherently unstable and it, it will lead to, to boom and bust. And that's why during the 1970s, we had all that. And then finally, uh, we had a big enough you know, spending spree into the 1980s that we were able to shake ourselves from uh, from the kind of turbulent time that we saw in in the uh, in the 1970s. And again, what mm -hmm. I'm explaining is a bit more macro, right? You know, very right. top down when they get into reasons of workers, uh, unions, possibly causing price inflation, et cetera, et cetera. That would be more micro. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's not anything that they could, they could be right. They could be wrong. I, right. I've never really looked into it. Um, was one of the key things, though, because people who get very confused about MMT or don't really understand it is one of the key things to understand is that, you know, when we hear politicians talk, they make it sound like we want to have a government surplus and that's actually awful. You don't want to have a government surplus. Yeah. 
<laughs> let's put it this way, let, to, 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 to withhold any judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can want a government surplus. That's fine. The consequence of a government surplus is highly volatile private, uh, highly volatile private sector that will lend itself towards mass unemployment. You will get a boom and then you will get mass unemployment. And until someone comes in, the government comes in and issues the necessary spending to offset the contraction of the private sector, you will have unemployment forever. Uh, I mean, that is just how it will happen. And again, we're defining unemployment in terms of people wanting dollars and are willing to work for dollars, but can't get that work, right? Because at this point, the Mm -hmm. only provider of those dollars is going to be the U.S. government because the private sector is crashing and they've said, we're done. And, uh, you, you know, going back to that idea too, you don't have any income. The, the, the bank setup that we had, right, where the, the bank guy was going to look at your income, you don't have any income because you don't have a job, right? And so the new loan is never going to get created. Where is that income going to come from? The only place it can come from as the private sector contracts is going to be the government sector. So, so let me see if I understand this because uh, I'm not very economically literate. Okay. Um, Essentially, we what still you're love is, you, Sitch. It's okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, essentially, what you're saying is okay. If the government has a surplus, that means that the government's not lending out money; they're just taking in money, or they're taking in more money that they're lending. And that would mean that in order for people to get money to borrow money, it'd be entirely reliant on whatever money exists already out in the private supply. And what that means is that when private businesses go through a regular up-down cycle, that when they start to go into the down cycle, there's not going to be money to lend out to people. Is that what you're saying? That's that's close. That's close. Okay. Let, let me let me just fix one part of that. Right. M- money doesn't exist or not exist out there, right? Mm-hmm. In the sense that banks aren't lending you money that they have, right? So if I if I deposit money into a bank, they're not lending that to you then, right? They're creating it. Yeah, exactly. They they are actually creating it through that that balance sheet operation that we talked about, right? And the mm-hmm. only thing the bank truly cares about, right? There, there are two constraints on banks. The number one constraint is the risk they see in you if you have the income to actually pay that loan back. That is that is truly the constraint. It's an income constraint, right? And that's why when you listen to MMTers who are very precise in what they're saying, the problem is always an unspent income, right? Someone is saving money, right? Uh, removing demand from the economy. And and if that happens, everyone does that, then you're not going to get an income stream. And therefore, you're going to go to a bank and say, hey, I want to start a business. I want to buy a house, et cetera, et cetera. But you're not going to have the income to do that because you can't find a job because no one is supplying that income. And in a time of crisis, someone has to supply that income. So if things like full employment, a growing economy, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff, uh, innovative economy is, is important to you, if that's what you want out of a society, then someone has to be running a surplus in order. I'm sorry, someone has to be running a deficit in order for that to occur. And for a short period, short amount of time, the private mm-hmm. sector can absolutely do that through the functions that we've talked about. Um, but when it can't, because of the nature of, of that cycle, then someone else has to come in and supply that deficit, uh, supply the deficit so you can have your surplus. That's the government. So the big, the only thing I'm going to change there is the, the, and I'm saying this because I, I did listen to the discussion you had with Anthony Davis or Davies, and for whatever reason, he's still under that money multiplier, loanable funds idea, which just is not an accurate description of banking. Government's not loaning you anyone anyone else's money. They're creating the loan, which actually creates, uh, which actually creates demand mm-hmm. in and of itself. Uh, and 
then becomes someone else's income stream, right? And that's really important, right? In our in our example of you buying uh, you buying Adam's house, your the four million dollars is now Adam's income, right? He can go spend that on a new home. He can go spend that on whatever, right? That's his income. Right. Uh, and that income can is going to create its own line of demand. And the, the big risk is always that Adam just saves that money. Right. You know, he yeah, moves to when you talk about demand, you're talking about it in the context of supply and demand. Right. Like I'm talking about it in, in the sense of like a growing economy, as you would measure as you would measure, you know, GDP or something like that. What why what does the term demand mean? Maybe I'm missing uh yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying. Maybe I missed what I was saying, but uh, well, the, there's you when you when you're spending money, you're create like I think of it in terms of supply and demand. As in, if there's money being spent, the demand for products and services is going up. But if people save that money, yeah, that exactly. demand yep. is taken off the table. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like sorry. if you yeah. if you if you launch a new product, you're going to price the product based on what the demand is. If the demand is through the roof, you can raise your prices. If the demand is low, you're going to have to lower your prices to, you know, entice people to get it. Well, there are people who don't, you know, they make money again and again and again, and they don't spend money on anything. So they don't create demand in the economy. Yeah. So that's, that's why I always think of it as supply and demand. When you're talking about uh, that money, that $4 million is creating demand in the economy for products and services. But if I myself don't, if I just put it in the bank and save it, it doesn't like theoretically they could loan it out and someone else will spend it to start a business or something like that. And they create the demand. A bank couldn't loan your deposits unless you wanted them to, uh, in, in which case they wouldn't be loaning it. It would be you. The bank okay. would always hold. So, so that's just, that's the way people perceive it these days though. That my bank deposits are being loaned out to other people. That that's not happening. No, 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 not not in any not in any real sense. So the bank uh, keeps all of your deposits on reserve. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, no, okay. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Banks are allowed to create a balance sheet of assets, right? Right. So if if they uh, if they create a loan. They they have discretion with what they can do with the offsetting asset of that right. loan. Right, they can buy right? treasury bills with it, obviously. Or yeah, or if I deposit, I mean, they can't I buy back, Apple I stock. I, yeah, I need to back. I need to. I need to step this back just a little bit. If if I just go deposit money into a bank, the bank has discretion with what they can do with that cash. There's a certain amount of discretion they have with what they can do with that cash. But no way is my deposit then being lent off to create like it, it's not a money multiplier situation, right? They're, they're not right. lending that money off. So in no way is that process occurring. They have discretion to to do with that deposit as as they as they see fit within the regulatory framework uh, for the bank. But if someone then comes in and says, hey, I need a loan, they're not going to go to the vault and see how many reserves they have in a loan, you know, they're to loan out. They're, they're just going to create the money. They're just going to create that loan. Yeah. And that, that expands their balance sheet. Yeah, exactly. When, exactly. When they, when the, okay. So the government gives a bank the ability to create money out of thin air, essentially. And Correct. that's what so the bank I, charter is. Right. That's what the bank because, charter because is. Because all money is created out of thin air. Oh, yeah, but, I know. That's a dig. That's a dig at the uh, monetarist and the right. new class. So, uh, yeah. like, so for people that are listening to imagine this, essentially a bank goes to the government and says, hello, can we have a, 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 uh, a printing press for money? And the government mm -hmm. says, yes. Okay. So it gives the bank some kind of printing press for money. Obviously there's restrictions on when they can use this. 
So then I go to that bank and I say, hello, bank, you have a printing press for money. I need $4 million to buy Adam's home. And the bank says, well, we looked at your credit and everything. And yeah, we, we trust you to pay this back. So here we're going to print, here's your $4 million, go buy Adam's home. Okay. When they print that $4 million or create it, um, is that considered government debt or is that the bank's private debt? No, that would be, uh, well, the debt is your debt, right? I'm sorry, the assets. Uh, well, yeah. well, no, wait, it's, it would only be my debt. It wouldn't be government debt. Yeah, it's the debt is your debt. Let's uh, let's do this. Oh man, you owe the bank. The bank you owe the has, bank. Yeah, has your IOU, and that IOU is worth four million dollars. When they do, this is what mortgage-backed securities are. They they package all of those promises, all of those IOUs together into a security. Yes, but I guess where I'm like I'm having trouble here is because the government. Essentially, the bank is acting as a middleman for the government. Yeah. In the situation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, like, if the government just creates $4 million and then gives it to me, wouldn't that also, how is that also not the government's debt? It is. Exactly. No, exactly. It is okay. the government's okay. debt. Okay. Yeah, so that's what I'm asking. Absolutely the government's debt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a liability of the government. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, that's exactly, that's exactly how it functions. Okay. So, if I go to the bank and I get $4 million, is it my debt and also the government's debt at the same time? And then yeah, yeah, yeah. it's the bank's asset? Yeah, these are good questions. Oh, you're getting me excited. <laughs> let me, <laughs> okay. <laughs> let, me, let me do this. Right. I, when, I, when I share my screen, I can't hear you talking. So right. here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to okay. share my screen for a quick second. We're going to do some Yeah, balance. tell us what the <laughs> thing is we're looking at because I don't necessarily know. Okay, this so. is going to be completely different. D D Douglas is going to do some balance sheet operations real quick here, right? Because okay. okay. it, it's it's helpful It's helpful to see this. So we're going to share my tablet here. I have terrible handwriting. Just <laughs> be okay with my bad handwriting. Adam, you, Sitch, Bank. Adam has a house right now. We have no money in this system whatsoever. Here's how this is going to operate. You're all going to sit down at a table and the bank is going to say, all right, you, you're going to have a mortgage now of $4 million, right? right. Adam's now going to leave his, uh, is going to lose his house and he's going to have $4 million that you're paying for the house. You, right. Sitch, now have the house, right? And how does the bank do this? They're going to have a loan on their asset side that's $4 million. And that's they're going to have promise. A, they're going to have a deposit on the liability side. That's of four million dollars. That's your money. That's Adam's money. That's the the li uh, the uh, the the loan on the asset side of the bank is your debt. That's your liability. And now you have you have a house. And 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 notice when we when we started this, there was no money. There are now four million dollars of financial assets, but it all nets to zero in the sense that you have a liability of 4 million, which is the asset of 4 million, which is the deposit of 4 million, which is the asset of 4 million. This all equals out to zero. So there's no net equity here for anyone, but the assets are, are offsetting the liabilities. Now, when the government spends, there's, there, there is, it, when, it, when it spends to you, right? Let, let's say, let's say the government just gave you money, right? 
they gave you uh, another stimmy check of whatever $700, whatever it is. You have $700, but then on the government's balance sheet, they just have a liability of $700 and they can carry that liability forever uh, in, in perpetuity with no need to ever get that paid back because we're not backed by anything. We haven't imposed some sort of uh, self-imposing constraint on our ability to spend. It's just $700 as a, as a liability. So that that is money. That is how the banking system works. Apologize for the terrible <laughs> penmanship on my tablet, but that's what's happening on the private sector when the private sector creates money. Okay, so like I understand that if the government just gives someone a check, obviously you know it's they're just losing money because it's not getting paid back. It's not a loan, right? Um, but I guess what I'm asking is if like theoretically, like you have like the magic government debt clock you know, of how much the government's in debt. When I go to the bank and get a $4 million loan, does like that go, does the government debt clock no. go up by 4 million? And then when I pay it back, it goes back down? No. Adam is correct. So <laughs> what, what we would say is there is both a public debt and there is a private debt, right? right. The, pu the public debt right now is all the money that the government spent that it hasn't collected back in taxes. In simple mm -hmm. terms, if, if and we can get to this detail in a little while, because it's important. Your, your 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 interviewee a couple uh, months ago did not understand this, but for all, for all intents and purposes- <laughs> That's Anthony Davis. You I guys keep like asking ago, us- yeah. <laughs> Was it years he, ago? I keep asking us to bring him oh. back on. That's uh, nice. So anyway, for all intents and purposes, that's how that's how the government does. So that's, that's public debt, $31 trillion. By accounting definition, that also is your that is your net savings as a whole for the public sector, thirty one mm -hmm. trillion dollars. Now, if what, what we just you know how we started off with no money and now there's four million right. and right that we would call private debt, right? And it's that private debt cycle, that exchange of of, of doing business there that we did. That is really what's driving the economy as we see it as the business cycle, right? That's truly what's driving the economy day in and day out, right? And that is what we want for the most part driving the economy, but it's pro-cyclical. <laughs> it, is, it is also highly unstable. Uh, uh, I'm going to toss a name out here that if anyone's into this and they really want to follow up on it, Steve Keen uh, has done a lot of work on this back in the late 90s, early 2000s, had a, had a was focusing solely on the private debt, which the neoclassicals don't do because they're stuck in this uh, this uh, loanable funds idea that my deposits are handed off to. Uh, that's why they get so caught up on M two that they're handing those deposits off to the uh, to to someone else to you know invest. They miss this private debt side. Now, this private debt side of things is highly predictive of mark of you know market outcomes when you have the private debt contracting you're going to get a potential recession uh, along with a government side re uh, contracting as well. You will get a recession. Right. Uh, so before, before we get into this, because yeah, some people yeah, keep are, going, are, keep going. Some people are confused as to why I'm asking this question. Um, well, first of all, someone, th this is how, if this is how banks just make money, this is just, I mean, if you don't accept that, I don't know what to tell you. Look, you can look it up on okay. the internet. You can just look this it up. is completely right. wrong. No. So that's what so, people are saying in the chat, but obviously right. it so used to the be reason, differently. Right. Yeah. The reason I asked the question about is it the government debt is because I assume like if we went to a if we went to the government, okay, if I went to the government and said, government, can you give me a $4 million loan to buy Adam's house? And the government did that. That would be government debt, right? Um, if, if the treasury loaned you four 
million that, dollars. I just, that's if, that's not, po- if that's I don't know if that's possible. That's even but, not yeah. even possible. Yeah, but if they if they, in theory if they did, well, okay, Bank, so of, Bank of America gov- wait, okay, is wait, wait, not. Wait, 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 yeah. Okay, there's some government spending program where the government says they're going to give people loans that are uh, people of shadow like myself, you know, that that have low interest rates. There's some government program to do this. Okay, mm-hmm. that's completely government run. So then they give me the four million dollars, but I'm supposed to pay it back, right? Is, is that, that does, government debt not, until I pay it back? That doesn't happen. I don't There's know why no you're, possible why you, scenario that this exists. Uh, I so we've had like uh, you know like the uh, the government loans for small businesses during COVID right. that played out. I, I'm not sure how how those operations take place. I'm not sure if they take place solely on the balance sheet of the Fed. Or if that was ultimately, I think it was actually paid. Yeah, I think it was paid by the Treasury. I, 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 I think it was ran by the Treasury. I, I, I don't know the balance sheet operations, but let's the, the reason, what the, the, what the legal. But right. let's yeah to get to your to get to your point. The reason, but let me just the, the reason I was asking this because it seems strange to me that like if banks are essentially just a middleman for the government, how is the government? How is it not the government's debt when the bank lends out money? Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. To, to, to a certain extent that, yeah. Okay. The bank, <laughs> the, the government is to a certain extent on the hook for the private sector debt, right? Mm-hmm. To, to, to a certain extent banks will. Um, so if, if all deposits have to come from the, the uh, a loan creates the deposits and that's where the deposits are going to come from. The government guarantees your deposit up to $250,000 in a bank. Right. So if, the asset that is offsetting that deposit goes to zero and you have a bank that closes down or there's, you know, bank run, right? Your deposits up to $250,000 are guaranteed, right? So to a certain extent, the government is on the hook for a certain amount of the deposits that are out there in in that scenario. And that is, I mean, I I think all deposits should always be, (laughs) we we shouldn't, uh, there's no need to have a cap on the two hundred fifty thousand for deposit insurance, it should just be. If if somebody what, what if the government the, does, if a bank makes a loan though, they create money out of thin air, four million dollars, right? And the person loses their job, is unable to repay the loan. The bank is going to write down the loan, and they're going to pay it off with money from interest on reserves or something like that, right? If the yeah, loan it, if the loan goes bust, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll have a certain amount that will go bust and and won't get repaid, and they have certain parameters that they have to fit within in terms of their risk right. analysis. And uh, I mean, if it goes bad enough, right? I mean, if we get you know two thousand eight and and everyone's selling assets and their assets collapse, then you do have a bank collapse in that instance. What's a forty one uh, trillion called? Because I remember looking this up recently. I wanted to look at all the outstanding loans, and it was forty one trillion. It was, it's interesting that. The the national debt is thirty one trillion, and the the bank loans are forty one trillion. I mean, they're within ten trillion of each other. Yes, they don't necessarily have to be, but uh, no, they could be wildly yeah. different. I just think it's interesting that they're close, not to the too same. far away. Yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. so. It's seventy two trillion of financial assets in the economy right now. Yeah, that that wouldn't include. Uh, that's only for the U.S. and that wouldn't, you know, I, I don't know everything that would or would not include, but that would be kind of the, the base starting point. Yeah. Right. So what you'd want to do is you'd want to go to the the St. Louis Fred, 
And if you typed in total credit to private non-financial sector Mm -hmm. for United States, that's, and and then put in BIS, uh, which is uh, the bank for international settlements, settlements, who's going to calculate all this. That is where I would get the number for the total dollar of, of what, what I would call private debt. Right. And it's important to do for non the, for the non financial sector because there is going to be financial sector debt, which is not in any way uh, money in the way that we would think of it. So, Sitch, why why um, do you, have we answered the question? Or well, not really, but there's a second question. <laughs> well, why why I don't understand. What is the purpose of the question? Well, I, it might be too difficult to explain. Um, it's just because like my understanding is okay. So like when the government creates money and then lends it and then spends it right that creates government debt and if the if the bank is a cent if a private bank is essentially acting kind of as like a quasi of the government by you know printing out money from nowhere that i just seems interesting to me that that's not government debt that that's the bank's debt which i guess leads into the second question i had which is if i go to the bank to get four million dollar loan and they create out of nothing and then I don't pay it back. Why does anyone have to pay it back if it was created from nothing? So what would end up happening is their asset then that they mm-hmm. have on their balance sheet would no longer be worth $4 million. Right. And that asset price would then drop and that would create an insolvent bank and the bank would shut down. And that would yeah, be- Yeah, but technically they didn't have, like the $4 million just didn't exist. So well, just, it, it, like, it already the, went like, out. Look, you already gave it to me and I spent it. Look, right. so, I went to Vegas. Right. The money's so, gone. So, <laughs> it's already so it's, out in the economy. Right. So this is, to be clear, like I understand why you would need this to work this way psychologically. But is that all it is? It's just, this is just a psychological way to make money have value? Yeah. So the reason, uh, okay, I, I think what you're getting at, at at this point then is really getting at kind of the core disagreement between kind of a lot of where MMTers would come from, how we see would how we would see money differently than a lot of other right. schools of thought. Right. Because yeah, to yeah, be yeah. clear, like, cause most people would yeah. think, Oh, if you go to the bank and you get $4 million loan, you don't pay it back. That's a big problem because the bank, they got that $4 million from some place yeah, and they're on the yeah. hook to pay it back. Yeah. But you're, but when you say, well, they just create it out of nowhere. It's like, well, then why do they have to pay yeah. it back? Yeah. And this is actually one of the big points about MMT is you don't need to have a financial crisis. <laughs> in a financial crisis, right? I mean, you don't need a runaway financial crisis, right? The government can always come in and buy the assets that are crashing if you're having a liquidity crisis, right? If a bank is insolvent, it should be shut down. That's fine. But the depositors don't have to get ruined in that situation. That's exactly what we saw play out in the SVB, right? There yep. was a right. There was a run on the bank. Uh, four tech bros got together and said, we're going to crush a bank for reasons unknown to anyone. They were a completely solvent bank, their assets, they had equity, they had assets of, of market value that offset their liabilities, yada, yada, yada. And they created just a run removed, on the yeah, bank. They just, yeah. they just removed their deposits. So your broader question is, why does any of this matter? Because this is the way that we've come up with to just as society for the last 5,000 years that we've come up with to operate a monetary system, that a monetary system is just accounting of the transactions that take place in that system. Uh, the monetary system in and of itself, the, 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 you know, the ones and zeros, you know, in, in the modern digital age or just the, the marks on a balance sheet are, have, have no value whatsoever. Right. But it is just, mm-hmm. a, it is the way that we keep score of the economy. Right. And it's always been that way. And that is how a monetary right. system g- gets, uh, gets off the ground. And so, yeah, 
at any time we can have a state come in because this is exactly what throughout history you see examples of this uh where ancient societies like i mean you, you look at the bible right you read that thing through it is all about debt right because they they instinctually understood that you give debt long enough to run uh, far enough you're going to have bad situations play out. By debt, I just mean money, right? When you allow money to run its course, bad things play out. And that's why they came up with these rules about, uh, uh, about you know, debt jubilee, you know, biblical debt jubilees, right? And, you know, Jesus is famous saying about, you know, uh, uh, something about to do I this, so, so famous I could remember it, uh, forgive, uh, forgive your debtors as, as they've forgiven you, right? I, I mean, you know, God's debt is forgiven to, to you through Jesus, right? Right. I, you know, uh, I'm not trying to proselytize here, but I'm just saying like <laughs> throughout history, we we have it, it's uh, up until 1950 when the when the neoclassical started writing their textbooks. Everyone understood that understood that money was debt and that it's all just one big accounting table and uh, and that uh, there, there, you know, some some bad situations can occur when debt gets too big, on, you know, especially on the private side, right? You know, when someone owns someone else's debt, uh, that, that gets, uh, you know, very, uh, uh, oh, I don't know what the adjective is that I'm looking for, but bad things happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you always need a, a third party to step in. In this case, we come up with the state idea who can be that third party to come in, right? And that also then drives the use of the currency, gives it value and whatnot. Un- under no circumstance has the system ever worked under the idea that, you know, there's, there's something truly tangible of value like gold or bitcoin is is money right that you know by you know in my the way i understand money and i know this isn't the way everyone understands money is yeah it's something to settle you know exchange but above all else money is an iou you don't, you don't have money until you have a balance sheet operation until then you just have barter and that's not money that's something else not worthy of the distinction of money I hope that gets a little bit at what what you were sensing out there um so well, yeah. i mean i just i think my understanding is it is it is psychological, but obviously people don't want to accept that. They want something tangible, and I think that's where some of the intuition for gold and other things comes from because it just it feels more secure than like the promise and the thoughts of people and how like the yeah economy so works. cool so let's let's do this though right let's 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 go down this path right because everyone's mm-hmm. like oh we should go back on the gold standard right. right? To a certain extent, we're still on the gold standard. No one is stopping you from taking your dollars and converting those into gold, right? And in fact, it's even Blame better- from like the government spending, not like individuals. I understand. I understand. I understand. I'm, I'm making a- A, 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 a funny. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, it's not it's, a funny. I mean, if you want but, if you want your savings in gold, gold buy gold. Are. Yeah, but you they are. want the government to be so, on the gold and, standard. And then, this is, and then this is where I will come in and say, yeah. why, why do you want that? You have- I mean, especially if you're a libertarian, right? Maybe you're an authoritarian nut job and you just want full control over everything. Right. And if that's you, that's fine. And I, I understand. I'm not saying you said, I know it's not you, but I, I understand. I if am you really, actually, if you, <laughs> if you really, if you really like bringing out that authoritarian fist and you want to say the one winning investment is going to be gold, right? That we're going to back this IOU by gold. Uh, then that's, I mean, that's on you, but I, to, to me, that's not what I want, Right. Uh, I don't think you're going to get a robust private sector that can create all the stuff that we love and enjoy if we back it, if we pick one winner for investment, right? If we make our dollar, our our currency, our IOU into an investment vehicle, right? The downside mm-hmm. to that for the rest of society 
is bad because the government then has to go get that thing in order to in order to spend in order to do you know its side of the balance sheet operations from the government. So to a certain extent, we're still on. I, I, I you know, I, I'm pulling a, a, a move here. I, I know it's a bit of a sleight of hand, but nothing's stopping you from buying gold and investing in gold, right? In in completely get ridding, get, getting rid of your dollars and having gold if that's what you want. Right. There's nothing stopping you from buying Bitcoin if that's what you want. There's well, nothing stopping you from buying anything at this point if you think that's going to be more stable. And my, my point would be, and, and I'll, I'll let you kind of give the counter. My point would be um, under that system, right, where you truly have a freedom of whatever you want to invest your money into, one, that just gives a benefit of encouraging people to invest. Right. Uh, don't hold these dollars because the government is going to print more of them into the future. Go invest them in something that's productive that might make you a return. One, uh, that's a good thing. And then two, it, it it creates the business environment that people want to hold that currency anyway in, right? Because people want dollars globally because we create iPhones, we create you know Microsoft operating systems, we create the best stuff in the world. And in order to get that, you got to sell us stuff to get dollars, to get that stuff in the first place. If you want in on that, if when the minute you go to a gold standard, all that stuff, all that stuff goes in reverse. Uh, you, you, you lose value of mm-hmm. your currency because you're stuck making the government force gold to be the winner, whatever, you know, whatever it is that you're backed on. So I see myself as the true libertarian when it comes to, uh, when it comes to currency by saying, no, we really do want a floating exchange rate uh, where the consumer has the right and ability to go spend uh, their dollars and save them in, in whatever form. But I'll, I'll let you give the counter. Well, right. So my understanding is that when people are advocating for the gold standard, the thought process is that government fiscal policy is having some kind of negative effect on business and some kind of negative effect on American citizens. And, you know, usually they think it has something to do with, you know, runaway spending or runaway debt mm-hmm. or something of that effect. And so they feel that having uh, the government spending be pegged to gold would make make the economy more stable. I mean, that's generally the thought process. I, I believe that they're saying that they think it would add some stability yes. to the market. They're wrong. Okay, but so one, why one do you disagree so, with that? So let, let's just do two things. One, um, I, I don't know if you guys, I'm I'm, I'm 39 years old, so I, I lived through the great financial crisis, and I lived through quantitative easing, and I remember what everyone said when quantitative easing started, and the massive budget deficit explosion occurred uh, initially under Obama in 2009. Everyone yeah. said. We're going to have runaway inflation. The yep. dollar is going to go to zero. I even bought gold. Bob I mean, Murphy gold made that yeah. bet. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy bet. Yeah, Everyone, everyone said that that is what was going to happen. Since November of 2008, when the first wave of quantitative easing took place, um, we've spent twenty trillion more in deficit spending. So we've had quantitative easing uh by, I don't know how many I don't know how many trillions uh, in quantitative easing that it was and we've spent 20 trillion in uh in, in additional deficit the deficit at that point was 10 trillion it's not 30 trillion. The dollar index going all the way back. I'm pulling this up right now. The DXY going all the way back to November of 2008 eight, I got to, I got to pull it up. All right. Uh, when quantitative easing started was right at about 86. The dollar right now is at 103 on the DXY, right? So that's the dollar index. The dollar index is up 20% 
after $20 trillion worth of government spending and QE 15 years later, almost to the date, 15 years later. The U.S. has also spent more than any other developed nation. We have had a, uh, a public debt to GDP, our public debt to GDP ratio has outpaced, I, I'm pretty sure, every other developed nation, whether that be Europe, Canada, Australia, any other developed nation, we've outspent them as well. So we've, in terms of relative terms, in terms of Europe, Europe effectively put austerity in for most of the aughts. We didn't, and most of the 2010s, we didn't, we outspent them. In no way can you say, based on the last 15 years of experience, I know, I know you're not making this argument, you're playing devil's advocate here, Sitch, but in no way can you look at the last 15 years and say that government spending in any way decreased the value of the dollar. It increased the value of the dollar because it made a better economy than the rest of the world, particularly Europe, because we were willing to spend more than Europe. Um, Furthermore, like if you look at like us, our, our stock market over the last 15 years compared to Europe, or more importantly, compared to gold, the S&P 500 up over 400% since November of 2009, gold up about 150%, right? So all the doom and gloom naysayers about government spending are just wrong. They are wrong, 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 because they mm -hmm. don't understand the basics of monetary policy and what happens when the government spends versus what happens uh, when the private sector does it. Am I all for government spending at all points in every place? No, not at all. Uh, but they have this backwards. What happens when you back your currency by something like gold, right? What ends up happening is the government has to issue that currency to get that gold, right? So they are now spending that currency to get that gold, and it is now redeemable in that gold. It now sur it surplants the value of the dollar. Now no one wants dollars. Everyone wants gold, right? It makes it the de facto, it makes it the de facto currency. And then what ends up happening is you exclude the government sector from creating the necessary base for the private sector to thrive. So just like we were talking about this idea of now the private sector is going to create loans, right? They now have a reserve constraint put upon them because taking that loan all the way back, eventually this thing can get redeemed in gold. And this creates a far more volatile uh, pri uh, um, private sector system, right? Uh, what's going to end up happening is you're going to get these loans that get created, right? And, and, and so I'm going to go now on, a, on a finally filling into one of the points that, that I, uh, I was going on for, uh, I'm going to try and make a uh, 30, 45 minutes ago. What's going to happen though, is you're going to sell your homes. Uh, Adam's going to have that $4 million and he's just going to save it, right? He's going to decide that he's going to save it when enough people save or when the private debt load as a whole gets high enough. There are certain dynamics in here. When enough people save, the private debt load gets high enough uh, and, and prices will increase as the private debt load gets larger and larger. This does have you know, moderate inflationary pressure that, that gets put higher, uh, that gets put on it. Eventually, profits begin to diminish for companies and those companies have to lay people off. The minute you start getting layoffs, there's no turning back. The system collapses. There is nothing at that point. There is no one to supply the necessary income at that juncture to ever get the economy up and running again, right? That is exactly what we saw play out in the Great Depression. That is exactly what we saw play out in the Great Depression. The government didn't step in and offset the massive contraction on the private side. And we would get that under the gold standard. That's exactly what we would get under the gold standard. If we switched to the gold standard today, we would get maybe six months, maybe a year, two years of economic growth. 
And then it would be a catastrophic collapse that would never end until the government was willing to go back off the gold standard and you know offset the uh, offset the, uh, the 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 assets that were crashing and recapitalize the banking system. Uh, so that is how it would play out. I mean, there's there's yeah, one of these days I can get you know certain models put together that can kind of demonstrate that, but. Uh, I would say both kind of, you know, empirically, as we see in the data, and as you model this, Mm -hmm. it is, you just, you you can't look at the data and say that, uh, you know, from an MMT understanding that what MMT is saying is wrong and that you'd want a gold standard because it doesn't add stability. It adds instability because it forces a pure, what I'm going to call a pure capitalistic system into the private sector. And that is inherently unstable. So go ahead. Well, so, okay. So let me try to simplify this. So your argument is essentially that like, let's imagine that there's a, we have like the private system and the government system and the private system, which is, you know, uh, being affected by just uh, the the free market, essentially, it's going to have a natural up down cycle. And what you're saying is that when there's a down cycle, um, you basically need the government to come in and to provide safety to kind of buoy the private sector until it can come back up again. And if the government has its money pegged to something like gold or some other physical commodity, it can't necessarily come in and bail out the private sector. And thus, that's what causes the Great Depression to be the Great Depression. Is that kind of what Bingo. you're saying? Bingo. Okay. I, I think you're, I think you're pretty darn close. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, cause yeah. it seems to me like the intuitions here for, so for people, and this is kind of like, we saw this with the housing crash too. Yeah. It seems like the intuitions here are that the people that want the gold standard or people who are more right-wing uh, morally, their assumption is that the reason the economy is getting screwed up in the first place is because of government involvement is because of government spending. And your intuition and people whose intuition is more on the left is no, the private sector is kind of screwing itself over and the government has to come and bail it out. Does that make sense? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Let let me, let me take one step away from being a lefty here and just say, Mm -hmm. it's just the, it's just the way the private sector, it has to operate that capitalism has to operate in a boom and bust cycle. There's on its own, it operates that way. It's not good or bad. It is just the nature of the cycle. So I I, I want to take away some judgment in saying that, uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm going to use the term endogenous, right? So this is just this is bank cycle. Um, the, the endogenous cycle that creates all the stuff that we love is inherently unstable. And yes, the government has to come in. Somebody has to come in and supply the income when you're getting an income contraction. Let me let me let me just continue the circuit in your brain, right? So Adam's now mm-hmm. got this got this four million dollars, right? And he really likes McDonald's, and so he's just every day eating yeah. McDonald's, right? Yeah. He's eating McDonald's every single day with this four million dollars. So McDonald's now has an income stream, right? Because right. Adam's just eating all the cheeseburgers. McDonald's can go to a bank and say, "Hey, I need a." I need a loan. I have the necessary income for this loan. Will you give me this loan? Right. And so McDonald's has an income stream. They get to uh, employ some employees. They get to open up a new building, right? Because Adam's just eating so many McDonald's cheeseburgers, right? And every single one of those employees now has a meager income, but they have an income and they can go uh, now and get their own loans. And the bank is going to say, yeah, 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 I can loan you money. You have an income, 
right? And so slowly but surely, you see all these people spending money and you get this flow of money through uh, through the economy, right? And everyone has an inc- income, right? But all of a sudden for, I, I mean, there are reasons for this, but let's just say all of a sudden everyone begins to save, right? Well, all of a sudden, if Adam decides that, oh my God, these, these McDonald's cheeseburgers are not good for me and he stops spending, right? Well, now they don't have an income. McDonald's doesn't have an income. And now all of a sudden they're loan, they're not going to get the next loan to make payroll, right? And then you're gonna, you're gonna have to, uh, McDonald's is gonna have to lay off all of their employees who now also don't have income, who aren't gonna be able to create loans, right? Or who aren't gonna be able to go to the bank to get a loan to create uh to create the continued, you know, kind of upward cycle, right? So what ends up happening is there's just not income necessary to create the continued business cycle expansion. Right. And that is exactly where the government needs to step in. That's exactly when the government needs to step in. That's exactly what happened in 2008. We didn't have the income to make the payments on our houses in 2008. 2008 happens, right? It's a, it's a story of income more than anything else. And there are two providers of income in, in our, our simple little model, model here, our vertical and horizontal model. And that's going to be the government sector and the private sector. But the government sector doesn't have that instability that the public sector, I'm sorry, that the private sector does. But mm-hmm. we lo- but we do, I, I want to be very clear, I love the private sector, right? It's not that it's bad, it's just inherent and we need both of them to have right. a stable growing economy. Yeah, it's just the, the problem is, the issue I just think is that it for people just have the idea in their mind one way or the other. And I know like you're trying not to put it on like a left-right uh, spectrum, but it, it just kind of does fall in that way. Where when I hear people on the right who are more talking about this, the thought process is generally that, well, yeah, the economy will go down naturally, but you know the free market will kind of fix whatever the problem is, and that government intervention will only ever make something worse. Okay. Okay. Right. And then uh, you'll, I'm assuming you'll say, well, that's not true, and here's a bunch of information and facts why you think it's not true, but you know we're kind of talking about how like our intuitions are perceiving these things. Um. Yeah, I, I I get what you're saying there. Uh, it, again, in in a in a monetary system that has an overarching authority, right? I, I mean, what you know, one of the thought experiments is, you know, what if what if you know Bitcoin Island gets gets uh, established, right? And all prices are somehow forced <laughs> to be settled in all exchanges somehow forced to be settled in in bitcoin mm-hmm. right you know you, you get this this thought experiment that, that that steps up and and it's uh it's um it's a it's a an austrian anarcho-capitalist dream right you, you know it's it's all just free market supply and every possible solution right what's going to happen in that scenario one why we're all settling things in bitcoin is all you know in, in any agreed upon uh, money terms is is never established, just assumed, right? Um, but what's going to end up happening is at some point, if you're going to have a growing money supply, you would never actually get any growth if, if everything literally had to settle Bitcoin for Bitcoin. You just wouldn't get growth. You'd have to have banks creating loans, right? So what would end up happening is these loans are IOUs and, and you'd have whoever the biggest bank is with the biggest army with the largest, you know, with the most <laughs> guns, they would take over and enforce the settlement of this stuff, right? If you were to have loans, right? And, and they would create the courts and everything necessary, and they would become the de facto state. There's there's no way of kind of engineering this around that point, right? You mm-hmm. need an authority to settle this stuff, going all right. the way back to kind of the, the beginning discussion. So as, as long as you're, you know, as long as you can kind of see that play out, 
then all a government is, is just the agreed upon authority that we're all going to kind of live under that says, yeah, we're going to settle this stuff and it's going to be the government that gets to settle it. And, uh, and you know, I, I understand that a lot of people just look at government, think government bad, and that's just the way that it is. Um, and, and, you know, so be it. And I guess if, I mean, if that's you, there's nothing, I know it's not usage, but if, if you know, if, if that's the rhetorical you, there's nothing I can do to, to, to convince you otherwise, other than someone will, will eventually fill the void of the necessary right. authority in a monetary system, if you want to monitor, and you, here's the thing, you can't have a capitalist system without a monetary system, right? I, these, if you want all the benefit of a capitalist system, uh, you got to have a monetary system to go along with it. Capitalism is a monetary system. It is a money system. It is a system based on IOUs that get settled and uh, disagreements get settled by an arbiter that we just call the authority. So going all the way back uh, to that point, the, the other thing too is, uh, and, and this, you know, I, I, in terms of, you know, the government's always siphoning resources from the private sector, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. I, I mean, of course, people would believe that because every single person says that. I mean, the the, the Anthony Davies guy said that multiple times um, and, and it's just not true, but everyone repeats it, you know, that uh, that, well, when the government borrows money, that's money that would have been spent doing something else, you know, that the private sector would have wanted. And that's a misallocation of resources. No, no, that's not how it works at all. Uh, you know, that's just not how monetary operations work. But you get people parroting this over and over and over again. And of course, people are going to believe it if people parrot it, right? It makes sense. You have to borrow money to spend it if you don't have the money you want. So the government has to, but they just missed the simple point that the government issues the currency in the first place. Uh, I'll digress. I'll digress on that point. But well, okay. Uh, I don't know. Someone I, I, said um, they made the claim. I don't know the history of this. Uh, Joe that makes says, after the Great Depression, Hoover tripled federal spending in four years, uh, three greater than nine bill. Do you know what this is in relation to? I I don't. The the post Great Depression era era is nothing mm -hmm. I've studied terribly closely. I I mean I know we had a we dipped into a recession a few times up until like 1945 or something like that, and then right you know the huge. Well, no, I, I think what they're related to is like so because I think you said something like, um, you know, part of the reason the Great Depression happened was because the government wasn't willing to kind of enter into the economy and balance things out. oh yeah You're contesting that claim so he heading into okay I, I mean heading into the one thing I, I mean i've definitely looked up heading into uh the great depression so 1928 to 1929 before the great mm -hmm. depression we ran seven eight quarters of of a surplus in nominal terms in real terms i mean it was probably super uh, super cheap surplus. Uh, right. So yeah we, we did for about two years run a run a surplus very similar to what happened in 2000 right hmm Okay. Interesting. Um, Blue566 says, if money is an IOU, who's in an IOU to and for what? A personal IOU implies it'd be able to compel to be redeemed for something. Is it just for value's sake? Yes, it is just for value. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, exactly. Yeah, he, he's he's got it, right? Um, again, let, let's let's go back before we had a, a, a you know, a modern system in place right and we we have anthropologic uh evidence for this that that's how things originally worked you would have people say hey i owe you one right mm -hmm. you know that it's a nice looking cow it looks delicious i you know I, you have two of them can i have one of them i'm gonna give you an iou and, and eventually what happens is you do get that authority structure put in place that says okay what this IOU is actually good for is to pay the tax bill, 
right? Right. And then the king's going to come in, the priest is going to come in, and they're going to be, you know, the 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 arbiter of what's right and wrong. And so if, you know, if someone is wronged in this agreement, right, because we're all kind of, you know, we're all on a hook, right? You know, we're all kind of on the hook uh, for, you know, doing right in this society. If, if we're going to, again, have this private sector that we're going to allow to, to, thur- uh, to, to, um, yeah, to thrive. And in, in this case, you know, we have this government that's going to, that's going to say, yeah, okay, we're, we're going to drive this currency by forcing you to, to pay us the tax. And then we'll provide, we'll provide the, 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 the legal system to allow this thing to operate. We'll provide the army to make sure that no one's going to come in and steal your stuff, you know, that, that, that sort of thing. And, and it's going to provision itself to do what it needs. We'll provide the, the basic Things that, you know, firefighting, healthcare, running water, you know, that all a society needs to to operate, that no one company is, you know, we really don't want a company monopolizing and uh, we'll come in and provide that. And then the rest of it, you guys can, uh, you know, figure out on your own. So it really is, again, it's going back to that kind of that legal justice framework that, that, mm-hmm. that you know, allows society, the civil framework that allows society to operate. Well, and to be, and to be clear too, you're not suggesting that like i assume you agree that the government can obviously create economic policies or do things that cause recession and depression yes like yeah obviously right so yes. it's, they, so they can yeah. force they can force 30 percent of society to stay home that sure would, yeah okay yeah, right. so that, the government that, can obviously that, cre- that created up, a recession yeah. right yeah exactly so the government can obviously do things to screw up the economy your only argument was that if the government kind of has his hands-off approach then just the normal free market cycle will eventually screw itself up and will need a bailout or the government to kind of intervene. So the government has to have the power essentially. To add the income, to add the additional yeah. income when the income contracts. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, Misram six for 500 Kazarks. Thank you. Says you have $10,000. Uh, you can either borrow it. You can either borrow it to a private individual to open a restaurant or buy a government debt. If you buy the government debt, the restaurant won't get open. Do you understand how this could have been spent doing something else? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think he means means loan it. (laughs) Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. And this is, uh, again, this is where a lot of the the, the neoclassical, the monetarists just don't understand. I don't mean to be, you know, I don't mean to be mean. You don't don't understand, Mr. Um. Yeah. Mr. Um, Um, Um's nice, though. I mean, yeah, yeah. A bit out of it, a little delusional, but no, no, but it's, no. I, you, you know what? No, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I don't blame look. I'm him only joking, obviously. <laughs> I love Misrum. Come on, I don't, I don't blame him that he doesn't. I mean, again, you know, a few months ago or whatever, however long ago it was, you had a guest on that said this is exactly how it works, even though it doesn't. I mean, I, you know, I you can you can prove the balance sheet operations out. They keep I wanting do. us to bring back Anthony Davies too. <laughs> To debate. I, I mean, I, you know, I would, but like I, when, when these questions come up, I, I don't know if this will come in, but I, I literally keep scrap paper around to do balance sheet operations. I mean, I, I have a pen and scrap paper around to do balance sheet operations because you have to do the balance sheet operations. Um, and in a monetary system, there's, there's obviously there's a way that I could just give cash to someone to open up a, open up a, a restaurant, but how it functions and why deposits grow and why deposits contract is because banks, when they create a loan that creates the deposit, just like the system that we saw, 
right? The banks were allowed to do that. And that is how that person would open a restaurant. Now, do, uh, I'm do, all, just to, I mean, to answer the super chat directly, though, both things would happen, right? The person could buy the treasury and the loan could be made. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's not a, it's exactly. not a either or. I mean, yeah. Oh my God. Let's, let's change, let's change subjects slightly. <laughs> well, let's wait, do before this. you answer the question, okay. I don't even know okay. if I, I don't understand the question. I don't understand. Okay. What, what well, he, he's asked. basically Adam, so saying, he's up. basically yeah. saying, look, the problem is, you know, the money is going to be spent this way, uh, you know, to just invest in some treasury bond that is not really going to stimulate the economy when the money could be spent this way mm -hmm. and open the restaurant. But in reality, Money's not a finite thing. I mean, we create it as needed. We would just create the treasury bond for the savings vehicle and give the loan to the restaurant person well, that wait, wanted wait, to wait, open wait, wait. the restaurant. Who, who and, and Ms. Rum's question, he says, you have $10,000. Who's the you? I assume he's talking about like a private individual. Private individual Me, doesn't yeah, have access yeah. to, to infinite money. The yeah, private yeah. individual can either take the $10,000 to open a restaurant or to buy government debt. Like they are limited. There's a limiting amount Let's, for the private individual, okay. right? Us to right. this, right? Well, so if, if you assume he is the government, both would well, that's a different place. question. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Let's let's say let's say I, let's say I'm a private individual. The first question is where the hell did I get this ten thousand dollars from the first place? Mm -hmm. Right. Drug right. money, obviously. Right. Oh. <laughs> yeah. What did you say, Sitch? <laughs> Nothing. No. 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 I mean, it's, it's a serious question, right? Um, mm -hmm. I, I did. You know. Uh, even if it is, even if it is goofy, right? I mean, let's just say I did do, well, I don't want to demonetize this video, but, um, <laughs> you know, let's just, let's just say I did, let's just say I did obtain it uh, nefariously. Well, where the hell did they get that money from? Right. Where did the next person get that money from? Where did the next person get that money from? That money either came from one of two places. It can only come from one of two places, right? Mm -hmm. Either someone created a loan, a bank created a loan, right? And now or government you know, spending yeah, or government spending. So let's do the government spending one, right? If the government just gave it to me, Nothing now is inhibiting someone going to the bank and creating a restaurant to open, right? Furthermore, the government was able to give that to me without ever issuing a bond in the first place. The government's never borrowing that in the first place. In fact, the only reason I'm able to buy a bond, why that's even a possibility, is because the government gave me that $10,000 in the first place. And this was something that, again, I, you know, I, I apologize for going back to this example so many times, but I, I did listen to it uh, in, in as much detail as I the possibly an, the could. The Anthony Davies? Yeah. You want to so, talk to him? I mean, I could totally uh, set if, that if, up. If you want to set up debate. I, I mean, by the end of this, though, I, look, I was okay with him until I, I, I realized that he did like these hit pieces on MMT and he doesn't even understand some of the basic uh, monetary operations. Uh, that Ooh, bothered me. That rubbed me the wrong way. Shots fired. Uh, and, and, and it did get me a little, uh, uh, for those who watch my live stream, it was it was more plates, baby. He, it was more. Look, I he's a, he is a nice I, enough, he is a nice yeah, enough yeah, person, but we do was. agree on the economic stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I listen to I listen to to my podcast when I work out, you know, and so if, if I've got something that uh, is particularly uh, frustrating to listen to, I, I'm just, you know, I put more plates on. No, it's oh, great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is so stupid. It pisses me off. And you know, he just pushed some more weight around. So more plates. That was a more plates discussion you had with him. Um, all right. So let's, let's, let's go through some monetary operations. You're just going to you know, drop people like flies. We go through this, but the government wants the bridge. How is it going to do this today? Literally, what are the steps necessary to take place? I'm going to do my best to not skip any steps, right? Mm -hmm. How are they going to do this if they have no money, right? So we have no financial assets in this entire system. The government wants to buy a bridge. 
And the government is also required to issue a bond to fund the purchasing of that bridge, right? So we have everything in order here. What happens? The Congress passes Douglas's bridge building law, <laughs> bridge right. to nowhere law, right? And it passes. Then Congress says, Treasury, I want to build a bridge to nowhere. And then Treasury says, great, we're going to build a bridge to nowhere. And the Treasury then goes out and says, hey, bridge to nowhere, builder, we need to buy a bridge. What's it going to cost? Okay, it's going to cost a billion dollars, right? That's what Congress, actually, Congress should just say, we're going to pay a billion dollars. No, they're not even going to ask the bridge maker, just going to say, we're going to pay a billion dollars. And then the, the Treasury is also going to look into their account at the Federal Reserve called the TGA, the Treasury General Account. They're going to be like, well, crap, we don't have any money in this account. And we also need to pay the bridge maker to get this money. Where is this money going to come from? They're not going to go to the private sector and borrow it. What they're going to do is they're going to auction off some bonds, right? And you're saying, wait, Doug, wait, 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 Doug. This is, you know, you, you know, you said the money's going to come first. Ah, but there's a trick that is up the sleeves of these bankers, right? Because they understand how monetary operations actually take place, right? You can't have the bond issued until the reserves are in place anyway. And one of the sticky things that's happened because we just are ran as countries ran by monetary idiots, we also made it illegal for the treasury one to just spend directly. And two, we also made it illegal for the Federal Reserve to just buy the bonds directly, right? So in fact, the private sector does have to buy the bonds. So what do they do? How do they get around this? What's the answer gonna be? Here's what they end up doing. They end up saying, hey, we're going to auction off a billion dollars worth of bonds. And a bank's going to come in and say, yeah, okay, I'll buy those for a billion dollars. Very, very good. But the bank doesn't have a billion dollars. And this is where the trick comes in. The bank enters into a repurchase agreement with the Federal Reserve. And that repurchase agreement is just kind of like a, a house settling, just, just like we did the balance sheet operations with the house, where the Federal Reserve is going to create the reserves necessary for that bank, these are called primary dealers, to purchase the bond that the treasury is selling. And they're all going to sit down at a table at a closing, exactly the same as uh, when you get a closing for a house. And what's going to happen is the, the dealer will temporarily get the reserves to give to the Fed, or I'm sorry, to give to the treasury. The Fed will give the reserves to the treasury the tre uh, or to, to the bank. The bank will give the reserves to uh, their TGA account at the at the Fed. The Treasury now has the reserves. The bank now has the liability of the bonds, but they have the bonds and they were able to purchase those because of this other asset that they have now, which is the repurchase agreement, which the other side of that is being held by the Treasury. And then the spending can finally happen. They have the billion dollars in the TGA account that they're going to spend on this bridge to nowhere. Here's the fun part. That billion dollars is now new net financial assets. It is the now net financial saving of the private sector, which is now $1 billion. And that is a deposit of the uh, of the Bridge to Nowhere company that is now building that bridge to nowhere. They've got a billion dollars. And that is what ultimately will capitalize the private system going forward. So that is how money gets in. Now, the very next day, they decide the Bridge to Nowhere was really, really cool. We want another Bridge to Nowhere. Well, that bank now has the deposits from the first bridge to nowhere in it, right? And maybe a new loan has been created, right? Because we've capitalized, we've put the necessary capital into the private sector. So maybe new loans have been created by the next day, right? There are now, there's now money in the private sector where that repurchase agreement doesn't even have to take place, right? The, the bank could just have the funds available. Available, yeah. Right? Because we've actually created the banking system now, right? Some we've of the bridge created, money. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, bridge to nowhere money. The most important thing in all of that, no one ever had to divert 
financial resources to the government that they were going to spend elsewhere. Every other, every other economic activity that could have taken place took place in this scenario. The government never stood in front of anything. The only thing the government stood in front of is if those resources to build the bridge to nowhere were going to be used instead to build the restaurant, right? If, if we were limited in our real resources. But from a financial resource standpoint, we were never limited and we were able to spend creating the necessary assets. And again, from an accounting perspective, your saving in the private sector and the Bridge to Nowhere company is now the public sector deficit, right? So the government's in deficit a billion and that's how Bridge to Nowhere company has a billion dollars. So I hope that explains how there's never a, you know, a, a misallocation, a diversion of resources between the government and the private sector. In 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 a real sense, there is, but in a, in a nominal dollar sense, there's not. Okay. Maybe. Did you follow all that, Sitch? I mean, it's... No, I didn't, but... Uh... Really? <laughs> I, was hoping, I was hoping that was... Uh... It's so simple. I, no, no, no. I mean, I, I understand. I understand generally, but... Uh... To, to, to generalize it, I it wanted is, to make sure. I wanted look, to make sure and give every step. Let, let me do this. I just want to look. You have is, to. You have to speed it up here. Look. The point what is. Happens, the point, what happens? What happens is. Well, let me. Let me just yeah, yeah, lay yeah, it yeah. out. Really. Speak to me. Here. Okay. Here you go. Speak to my little baby brain. The the government cooks up a bond, and yeah. they say, "Look, nobody has any money to buy this bond." So they sit down and they make an agreement with a bank, a private bank, and the bank agreement is basically. You give us the money to buy the bond, and we promise to buy the bond. <laughs> yeah, I, I, they're paying someone to pay them. I, yeah, right. It's very strange. So, but they they buy the so they create the money, give them yep. the money, they buy the bond, give them the money back again, right. and now they have the the money, yeah. And the private sector has a bond. Yes. There you go. So, so how we how we say this in shorthand is you can't once have they a reason. once they have that money, they spend it on the bridge. <laughs> So then, then the that money is actually in now. It's in the private sector too. So the private sector has a bond and a and assets that equal that bond. Hence, the money supply okay. is grown. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, I get it. It's just it's re, it's weird that this is how money is created. Why is why is look and Doug laid it out. It's because a lot of these people really don't understand the lawmakers have a really messed up idea of how money is even created. A lot of them don't even know how money is created. They just write right. the bill, you know, spend this. Right. Because it's yeah. very counter in the way that which America creates money is incredibly counterintuitive. And I yes. think that's where it's why people have a problem with this. But what do you want to do? I think it's, it's only it's I think it's only counterintuitive because we learned it that way. I, I don't I completely I, disagree with you because, like, if, if someone <laughs> says, like, okay, because people think, like, oh, the government wants to spend money. And so, like, Congress says, hey, government, uh, build bridge. You know, we need $5 million to build bridge. And then it goes to, like, some bookkeeper in some office somewhere. And he says, government needs $5 million. And he picks up the phone and he says, hello, printing press, government needs $5 million. And he says, okay, beep. And that prints $5 million. And then they use that money to buy a bridge. But that's not like, that would be the, sort of straight line intuitive thinking of how it works, but obviously that's not how it works. It works a lot more complicated than that. It, it is It is complicated. The most important thing is the government issues the reserves, right? They issue the money first and then they borrow it back. 
Right, but that's why it's so counterintuitive because that seems bizarre to like. Well, they like, borrow well, it back and then they spend it immediately. I know, but that's why it seems I, weird. Look, I want to make like sure I... they have to create instead of the government creating a loan. I mean, creating the money, they create the bond. Someone has to buy the bond, giving the government the money in the first place, which then the money look, the government immediately spends. Right? A lot of that's steps. It's kind of, a I lot of I, steps, Doug. I think it is, I got it is this, a lot of steps. Hold yeah. on, I think I got this wrong because so the when they create the bond the and and create the money and loan the money to the bank to buy the bond the the bond is given back to the government right because the the like the uh, the bank only agreed to buy the bond with loaned money anyway right so the government ends up with the bond and the money that I makes it even more counterintuitive. I think I got that incorrect. Yeah, yeah. The, the the bank is now holding the bond, so they have an asset and a liability. They have oh, a repurchase okay. agreement and they have a bond that are offsetting the TGA. The Treasury now has okay, the reserves okay. to pay. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what's most important is and 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 you know if you're watching this and you're an econ guy and, and you're understanding what I'm saying, um, but but you still don't like it, right? You still think that that. The government has to divert financial resources from the private sector to the public sector. The question I would always ask is, where the heck did the first dollar ever come from, right? Where did the first reserve that's going to be used to purchase that bond ever come from? It can only come from the government, mm -hmm. right? Well, that it just triggers to... people. Yeah, which is which is fine. And again, people want I, to think that the government is completely superfluous, Douglas. That's, yeah, I, I agree. That they might be. I don't know. I, they they very a, well could be. But they're not. <laughs> and um, if you want a well-functioning society, you need, uh, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing too. I, you know, going back to the kind of the discussion we had, um, I, there's been a lot of good government spending and a lot of good government research. Um, we, we, the U.S. still has, you know, some of the best public education institutions in the world. Uh, we have some of the best state colleges in the world. We have some of the, you know. We, we are all sitting here talking on the internet because we spent a crap ton of money in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s on the infrastructure necessary, the research necessary to ever let this stuff get figured out in the first place, right? Uh, if, it, if it wasn't for, I mean, the nice thing about government spending is it can be very wasteful in the sense that you can have research go for a very long time and return absolutely nothing. But when it does return something, that something can pay dividends for a very long time. And and I mean, from, from you know, DARPA in the 19, whatever, 40s, 50s, you look at like, like Intel is a great example. Everyone uh, that created Intel all got their start at, uh, you know, from like, you know, state research university. There's tons of government money uh, that was pumped into, uh, you know, a lot of the early research on semiconductors. And then this is the best part. Once the technology is there, and mature enough to go out on its way into the private sector, let's do it. Let's get it into the private sector. I mean, I I want things in the private sector. It if we're gonna if we're gonna put something into the public sector, it better be a thoroughly mature technology um mm -hmm. that that isn't gonna be open for innovation, right? Because you will stifle innovation. We see this anytime a state comes in and wants to to uh um, take everything out of the private sector and put it in the public sector. You do stifle innovation. I, I want none of that. Um, uh, but at the same time, you have ills of you know capitalism that also need to be offset as well. I mean, both sides have a lot of risk with them. MMT is just saying, let's understand these risks through 
inapplicable <laughs> monetary lens and understand what the pros and cons are to, and, you know, understand how to actually combat this stuff, uh, combat the, the cons and try and promote the, you know, tr try and promote the pros. Well, let's mm -hmm. uh, read. We have some super chats left here. We're yeah, coming up coming. on two and a half hours. If we go mu too much longer, like obviously a lot of people are not really interested in this topic, but if it's <laughs> like, if we pass That's three the most hours, interesting topic ever. <laughs> well, I, I understand that. We have I'm not joking. talked at all about how I use this to get rich, which is the only reason why anyone is here. So, well, okay, let me, we got, let's get, let's try to bang through these questions. Okay. Well, no, let's, let's just, let's put the questions on hold for a second and figure let's out get rich. how you do I make, rich? how do I yeah, use this to make money? Like that's yeah, all like, look, I don't care about all this politics stuff. I want to get, I want to make money off this. Let's get rich or let's uh, die trying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I, I think a lot of people would be less, they would have a, a, a less of an aversion to it if they knew that they could use it, you know, to make them, to enrich themselves, some sort of tangible increase to their own bottom line. Amen. Amen. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. I have to share my screen. And, and when I share, definitely when I share Chrome for whatever reason, go it, ahead. Uh, um, it, well, what I'm saying is it, it's going to cut out the audio. So if, if I don't hear what you're saying, uh, tell me and I'll stop, you know, I'll stop sharing. Um, but let's, let's look at how we can get rich or die trying. So we, now that we have an understanding of uh, when a government spends, that becomes private sector. Now, now that nobody has any right? understanding, yeah, <laughs> whatsoever, right? When the government spends, that becomes assets of the private sector, right? What the hell, you know, what 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 the hell happens with these assets, right? And this is actually, I, I reached out to Warren Mosler in uh, 2014 or whatever after I watched his debate, and I said, hey, he, he was a bond trader. That's you know, kind of used MMT for understanding bonds, but I'm like, hey, you, you know, Warren, I, I think you can use this for stocks too, right? Because the government spends that has to either get saved or invested, right? Or spent. And if it gets spent, then that's someone else's income. And they're either going to save it or spend it. Either either what the government, you know, what the government spends is either going to end up as in, in the in the um in the banking system or it's going to be someone else's income, which increases you know profits. There should be a correlation between government spending and stocks, right? And he's like, yeah, that's exactly how it would work. And so that sent me down my, you know, down the trail of understanding how to apply MMT. And so now what I'm going to show you is, you know, effectively, you know, kind of how to understand some of this stuff. So what we're going to look at first, when I pull these up, we're going to look at, uh, we're going to look at the chart that I showed out of the gate, the uh, the government spending chart. And I'm sharing now. Okay. Um, all right. So so we're sharing now. So again, what this is, is this is a net deficit or surplus, right? Deficit in this case, you know, government, since it's government spending, I'm putting the, the deficit spending is, is, is the positive number of the surplus as the negative number, right? So, and this is in real terms. So again, I'm taking the, the net deficit, dividing it by uh, CPI, dividing it by inflation, right? So we know that, again, that the theory would be is the government spends, stocks should go higher, right? And as government contracts, stocks should go lower, at least when we look at only the vertical money, right? The horizontal money will be a little bit different here. But when we look at the vertical money, so what we end up seeing is we end up seeing that, you know, following, let's start at the end of a crisis, right? The 2000.com bubble, the government shoots higher. And uh, and then, you know, from the whatever, May 2002 lows or whatever, uh, we start to see a rally. Uh, into finally about 2008, right? We hit 2008, we get the massive recession because the government has uh, essentially, you know, withdrawn the, the flow of, of money. 
Uh, we have the great financial crisis, bam, we collapse, and then we get this huge stimulus package, right? And and again, we're still moderately growing. The you know the rate of change year over year is is contracting, but uh, or slowing down. But overall, year over year, we're still seeing government growth, government growth, um, and so we never have a recession up until COVID. Now, COVID was a self-imposed recession. They just decided to unemploy 35% of the country. So we get the self-imposed recession and then bam, you get this massive stimulus, stimulus check goes out and we get, you know, we, we go crazy uh, for, um, uh, for, for growth there in the post COVID era. Now this is really interesting, right? Because in 2022, we actually get in real terms, a surplus once again, why is it that we didn't get a recession? We were so close at the end of 2022. So why is it that MMTers like myself were actually not calling for a recession, even though this is supposed to be the silver bullet? Because what usually happens prior to recessions as uh, as the business sector is contracting is the government lowers interest rates. Now, MMT understands that what the only thing the interest rate is really doing is just deciding how much additional income is heading to the private sector because of that interest income, right? So when they increase interest rates, we knew that that was going to start to add additional interest income into the private sector. So we knew we'd get a very quick reversal after 2022. So we did see stocks fall off in 2022 because of the big contraction in 2022. We had the, the really the biggest uh, tax lie, uh, the biggest tax train that we've ever had uh, in the history of this country. Uh, that's what took place in 2022. It brought us down to the uh, to the lows that we hit and we started to turn the corner and uh, in October of 2022, which is exactly when uh, stocks bottomed and started pushing up and then since then we've been on a run higher. And I can show this to you also in terms of, so this is year over year train, uh, change. Uh, to, to, to get this to be a little bit more statistically potent, we can actually get this into an acceleration function, right? So now I'm measuring the acceleration of that. So it's the rate of change of the rate of change of government spending. That's the blue line underneath that is the change in the S&P. And you can see a pretty darn strong correlation where the blue line when it accelerates, that's going to lead by about six months to a year, stocks ultimately accelerating, right? So it's that acceleration function that's really going to drive stocks both up and down. Uh, I don't have it prepared, but some of the tools that we've used, the various machine learning tools that we've used to kind of suss out if, in fact, there is uh, a causal uh, a, a, a detectable statistical causal link between these have all come up, uh, have all come up uh, uh, good. Um, and we can use uh, other various statistical techniques called like uh, mutual information where we can kind of suss out what the connection is between these, because these are obviously not linear relationships. You're not going to expect a, a pure linear relationship to show up on a graph, but they are nonlinear. So we know they show they share information in terms of one affecting the other, and then you can use again uh, the, my, my favorite, the one that usually kind of works the best, is called Granger cause, uh, where you can kind of detect at least in 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 the system that we understand is there a causal link there. Just just for the stat geeks, it's not perfect. I'm not saying it's like the ultimate. Yeah, this is definitely what's causing that, uh, but uh, it's it's sufficient enough for at least me to think, yep, this is how this is taking place. You get an acceleration of, um, of government, uh, of government spending and, um, you're going to see stocks push higher. So when I you, Oh, I guess you can't hear me. I'm going to, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. Okay. And then we'll, so we'll when jump you, back. Yeah. when you see government spending go up, you're buying stocks because your theory is that government spending will translate into stock market purchases. Yes. Okay. I, I mean that is that is okay. So uh, eventually we'll get into the deep learning stuff, and it'll be it'll be good to to kind of prep in our minds. Those are called those are called features, right? So what we're going to say is the price of the S and P is determined by a handful of features, 
right? And one of the features that would determine the price of the S&P 500 is going to be government spending. And it is without a doubt the dominant feature that determines the price of the S&P 500. What are, what are some other ones? Art? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go teacher mode on this. All right. So we've, we've talked about the, the vertical spending, the government spending. And what would we think then is the, if, if vertical spending is the predominant driver, what would be another very large driver? Loans? Yeah. 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 That, that private debt, right. uh, that private maybe debt, credit so. card debt, maybe business loans, all kinds of loans. Yeah. 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 So that's going to be the horizontal money. So I'm going to go back to sharing my screen here right now. If you remember, um, I'm going to rearrange these. Hold on one second. All right, let's do this. We will share now. Maybe. Hold on. Hold on, chat. I'm coming. Um, so we're going to, we're going to look once again at the, um, at the surplus deficit, right? So there was this period where we ran a massive surplus for an extended period of time, but yet we all know the dot-com bubble, it was a bubble, right? We had a boom. What the hell was happening at that point? This is our private debt to GDP. Now I've gone ahead and already made this a year over year, so percent change from a year ago. And what we saw during the 1990s was this massive expansion of private debt, right? So you can envision these overlaying one another right? So yeah, we had a contraction on the government side, but we had a massive increase on the private side. So the private side was running a huge deficit. It was running a massive deficit. It was running a deficit large enough to offset the surplus of the private sector and enough to continue to drive asset prices higher. We start to roll over. We start to decelerate, which is uh, really the, the key thing that needs to happen for this private debt cycle to bust. We start to decelerate uh, in mid-2000, and then we find ourselves in a recession just a couple months later. Exact same thing plays out again. Remember, we started to drift lower, ultimately getting into a, a surplus in real terms before 2008. What sustained that growth heading into 2008? an increase in credit terms. Uh, we start to roll over, uh, decelerate in that uh, in that sense, starting in early 2007. And I think uh, we topped around September 2007 and we saw the massive contraction on the way down. So that is the two largest components of what equals stock prices, uh, price of the S&P. And uh, that's, I mean, that's the secret sauce. That's kind of, that's kind of what you got to look at and why you can run a surplus for a certain amount of time on the government side, because the private sector has the capacity to run a deficit, um, uh, you know, through the endogenous cycle that we already talked about. So those are kind of the two things we look at. I'm going to hit stop. I'm going to let you so uh, you poke away so you this. look at the number of private sector loans and you look at the amount of government spending and if you see a lot of that going on you figure stock prices are going to be heading upwards and you buy the S&P 500 or some it's pretty some much ETF it. that mirrors yep. the S&P 500. Yep. If you see that stuff going down do you short the S&P 500 or if uh I I for the most part, I've gotten out of the short game. If okay. we ever, I, if if we found ourselves in a situation like 2000, right, we were running a massive surplus in real terms, or 2008, like we were running a massive surplus in, in real terms, and we saw a sudden, All these terms are backwards because surplus is actually bad in this context. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like most yeah. people don't don't understand yeah, that. Yeah, so. yeah. If we were running yeah. a government surplus, that means right. that means that the private sector is running a deficit. That means right. we have Taxes to pull out- Taxes are high, our, yeah. 
and we have to pull They're out credit cards our to pay savings the, accounts. Yeah. Yes. Yes. To pay the government. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So if uh, if 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 I see a very sudden shot higher and um and in loans, right? So we see that private debt chart really shoot higher, and we are getting a contraction on the private side or on the public side, right? A surplus on the public side. Then yes, that is the place where you do want to short. Until that happens. I'm I'm staying in cash. I'm not in the short game. There are times where I'll just like right now. I'm on the sidelines, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I was highly leveraged uh, for the last uh, seven, eight, nine months. Uh, finally, uh, in uh, uh, in August here, I've started to uh, take my foot off the gas, start to close down some of that positioning. Looking for a bounce on the S and P to about forty five hundred. I'll probably get the rest in cash. I do think we're going to have a bit of a uh, pull down here, but I'll only ever enter cash uh, when I think we're going to hit a pull down, a uh, little spot for right. Uh, for so a you pull don't down. just to be clear, you don't short. At this juncture, no. Now, if it looked like we were heading into a, a real government surplus, right? Yeah, I, I, I would, I would definitely put shorting on the table as a possibility when we started to see the contraction take place on the on the on the business cycle, the the the, the endogenous cycle side. Yeah. So we're at for we the top was forty five hundred. Did you sell it at forty five hundred on the S and P? No, the top was at 40, 4,600. The top was slightly above 4,600, I believe. I could okay. be wrong. No, I didn't sell it for I should. Okay. <laughs> this, this, is a, this is the curse that I have. Um, it's just me being a bad trader and and not trusting my tools. My tools did tell me to sell <laughs> right on like August. I think it said uh, August 13th or something like that. Uh, I chose to wait. No, maybe it was like August 10th at this point. I don't know. Um, is, is when we likely top out. I chose to hold on. Uh, maybe August a week 10th, too long. we were at 43. Uh, yeah, I, I forget the exact. Yeah. I mean, I, I sold right around 4,400. And if we get a bounce to 4,500, I'll sell again. Um, okay. So, okay. Yeah. You think I, we I mean, will I, get a bounce to we 4,500 cl- or you think we're headed, trending down? We will ultimately, I, I mean, I think we will ultimately push lower. So what's happening is we're going to get a massive tax drain uh, coming in October, right? So so just generally speaking, the cycle happens. September, there's a tax drain. October, there's a tax drain. Generally speaking, we get a slowdown of the government spending to take place. Um, it's not it's not always a guarantee that a slowdown in government spending on any short run period causes a sell-off, but we are going to get a sell-off. It, it is a brittle time period in September, October. There's a reason that crises always happen in April and May or September and October, because that's when the two biggest tax drain, tax drains occur. It's the most pressure on the on the private side. We are going to hit that, and it's going to be uh, quite large because uh, all the tech companies in California have not paid taxes yet this year. The entirety of their tax bill will come due in October uh, because they were allowed to defer their tax bill because of uh, um, no, there COVID? was some no, it wasn't COVID. Uh, uh, some something happened out there um that, that allowed them to I hold did, off I, I didn't even know that <laughs> yeah so they're allowed to, they're allowed to hold off so anyway point being the tax bill is going to be huge uh and, and that that will definitely create a, a slowdown and then also too the the I, I did one of the things that we've done and and I, I you know I went live with this back in I think it was like April on one of the live streams and it's been just kind of a work in progress let's see you know how we can do all this you know I created a deep learning model to take in all these again these features right the government spending bank spending uh we also have in my uh you know things like from unemployment to other you know other features there's 48 features I think in total um various uh, fed uh 
you know, reserves and all that sort of thing. So, so, so this model can get a full understanding of the macro picture from an MMT perspective, right? They're engineered to, to, to be stock flow consistent from an MMT perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, we put these all in a deep learning model. It's a, it's a pretty cutting edge. It's a, what's called a convolutional neural network that feeds into uh, a long short-term memory. So you have both like the, uh, it's just, it's, it's very equipped to understand uh, systems, nonlinear systems, like, like, you know, stock markets, it's equipped to understand this. And it said, sell in early August and buy back in October. And uh, instead of listening to it, I'm like, well, I think it might be wrong. We could get one more bounce, but so far it's, it's been right. And then I made a tweet a couple of weeks ago, if you want to see what the, what the original prediction was in May uh, versus uh, you know, kind of how it's looking right now. In fact, I just retrained it so I could just show you guys. Where are we going to um, be in October? That's my question. Um, okay. So this is me going to say that the, the one again, and watch the model end up being right. Um, the, uh, I, I think probably 43 to 4,200 range is where we would be. I mean, that's where I'm going to look to buy. Um, that would be my, that would be my best guess. So maybe another, uh, that what would that be, I don't know, 5% lower. I think it's going to be, it's going to be a bit of a chop. I, I don't think it's going to be a, a massive, uh, pullback, but who knows? I, I, I mean, what, what I do know is we're in a brittle spot and uh, if we get a good pullback here, it'll be a good buying opportunity. Well, to, when your money's to, to on the on. sidelines, you're always like, I mean, this would be a good time for a catastrophe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'd rather be sure if we have a catastrophe, but. Uh, oh, that's yeah. true. That's true. That is true. Yeah. Well, I, I know when 2000, when the pandemic hit and the market cratered, I was like, okay, I'm buying everything I can get my hands on. Cause I just, I lived through 2008 okay. and I just bought a few things that obviously went up massively. And I just, I always regret not putting every single piece of cash I had into the market at that time. Cause I'd be like a gazillionaire. So I think there are a lot of people regretting that. Yeah. Every, every <laughs> yeah. time the market craters, I just, I've essentially just buy stock as much as I can. So. And uh, that's, that's exactly what happened after the pandemic, the market crater, but it all came back real, like within a year. So, yeah, because we had a massive, I mean, immediately there was massive spending right now. If the government doesn't do the stimmies, if the government doesn't uh, extend the, uh, the triple P loans to, to, to companies and all that sort of stuff. Um, if, if already we were overly tight on, on kind of the credit market to begin with, uh, we, it would have been a catastrophe that would have never given way. But, you know, the government was very clear that they weren't going to allow a liquidity crisis to fully take uh, take place. They were very clear that they were going to make sure that uh, income would be replaced. And, you know, 2020 to 2021 ended up being the biggest, uh, you know, one of the biggest bull runs in history. And, um, it you know, a lot of people missed it. And a lot of people are missing the 2023 run here uh, because they think that, you know, the government's interfering or something like that. And I, I mean, yeah. Whether you think they're interfering or not, this is just how it works. So well, I keep you, all my money in crypto, so I know I'm safe from this. Yes, government yes. not. No, that's a joke, guys. That's a total joke. I'm not a, a big fan of crypto, but let's read some super chats and we can yeah, yeah, wrap yeah. things up. Okay, let's see. Um, my only regret about the pandemic is that I didn't tell my buddy Sitch to buy a bunch of. At least by the S and P five hundred, yeah. I mean, you told me to buy a lot of things, and I just didn't. Right. Well, I don't think I told you though when the when was the when the optimum time to buy was because we weren't right, so, really talking about this stuff at that time. So you have Douglas. You have like a in the beginning. You're saying you have tools, or you have a, a place that someone can go to, and they can look and see all your your recommendations, even if they don't understand all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
first things first, uh, t- Twitter is is probably the best place to find, like at least the research that I publish publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I'll at, put it in the chat. Yeah, at MMT Macro Trader. I also have a YouTube channel. Let me go through this from time to time. The um, YouTube channel is in the description of this video yep. right now, and we'll be there. So it's right at the top. And then my, my Patreon, which is where I do multiple updates each week, uh, is patreon.com slash MMT Macro Trader. So, mm-hmm. uh, and that has my little data dashboard that you can get access to when you join. How and much is has, the the tier to get access to that? Uh, the, the, the top tier, and that's going to be multiple updates each week. You can get in my discord, you know, so if you got questions, that sort of thing, you can contact me. That's 70 bucks. If all you want is just one weekly update and you're kind of just a market watcher, that's not in and out, in and out. Uh, that's 30 bucks uh, a month. So are you, are you telling people like specifically what they should do or are you just no. explaining the market? <laughs> I will- I will say what I do. I will explain That's why what I, mean. I do like, are what you I saying, do. saying like I yeah. like if I'm like I don't know I don't understand any of this shit, but I just want to copy whatever uh, you're doing, right? Like I, I would not recommend that you. You would not. Recommend he's already that. telling <laughs> you he didn't even listen to his own model, Sitch. Yeah, but if yeah, but if his model's working, he'd be like, listen. This is uh, the model he should have listened to the I model, like, but he okay, didn't. Let me let me let me let me phrase this slightly better. Let, okay. let me phrase this slightly better. If you are brand new to investing and trading. Right. Um, and you want to get into to this thing, right? And you want tools to help you be successful. By all means, I think I have the best tools available for you, right? Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I think, yeah, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just going to follow me verbatim with everything I do, uh, eventually, you, you know, you're gonna you're gonna freak out. And I, I mean, may, maybe you don't, right? But it's just it's. Everyone has a different time horizon in their investments. Everyone has different needs, what they want out of invest out of investing. I, I mean, I, I heading into 2023, I was levered to the well, again, we won't demonetize, but I was very levered, right? Which means uh, you know, hypothetically, let's just say at a hundred thousand dollars to invest, right? And you know, for me, uh, you know, what I invest is pretty much all the savings that I had. I mean, I invest why would that ve- demonetize a video just talking about how much you had invested? No, I was gonna say le- levered levered to the the, uh, the big the big to the big tits? short yeah 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 um oh, okay. so to my, covid my, right yeah 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 okay well yeah. i said i mean i said covid like a bunch of times no not so. covid no tits oh, okay. lever to the tits that's the that's the phrase oh okay uh, yeah it was yeah, yeah. shit deep in leverage adam i don't yeah, know what yeah, you're confused yeah. about yeah. Said, look we all we call it mommy milker theory i think he can mommy say tits. milker theory yeah exactly <laughs> exactly it'll be okay yeah so i i was i was highly leveraged so let's just say you had a hundred thousand dollars to your name right that was all the savings you had right mm-hmm. i i effectively during the post-covid era and then into you know also into 2023 I levered that up to about $300,000, right? So in other words, if if the market, if I was wrong in my bet and the market ended up going down, you know, 10, 15%, right? That'd be a lot that, of money. Yeah. That'd be a ton of money, right? Because, my, you know, that, that, that would be- 30%. Um, yeah, 30% of 300,000, right? Me- meaning, you know, that thing's more than getting cut in half at that point or about cut in half, right? So I'm, I'm losing half of my wealth, right? So, mm-hmm. it, it, you know- if you follow me verbatim, you just might not be ready. You just might not be in a point in your life where you're ready for that sort of swings, right? right? Yeah, that's ninety thousand dollars in 
lost profit. Well, the, I wasn't saying people. Okay, when I said but, them, I meant like not the amount of okay. money you're putting in. Yes, right? but the rest yeah, of the but but absolutely. I mean, the the you know what I'm providing is is right. research and analysis that says this is where I think the market's going based on an MMT framework that we've done our best to you know to put through the ringer of uh, of all this you know machine statistical uh, deep learning tools that we can possibly throw at this thing and and validate that you know some of these are the best leading indicators and uh, you know it's going to give you. Uh, based on your own, you know, what it is that you're looking to to get out of your investments, give you the, you know, the best kind of base case for uh, for where markets should go uh, from uh, kind of a, an MMT applied or applied MMT or an informed mm -hmm. MMT uh, understanding. Okay. I just want to give the big caveat that, look, right. uh, you know, uh, investing involves risk, all that sort of stuff. Um, you, you might not have the stomach for uh, for the swings, but if you understand that and you know you're you're ready to tackle it, then yeah, absolutely. Uh, all these kids yeah. are investing in crypto now. Like, how <laughs> volatile is that? Oh yeah, yeah, and that's the other thing too. You, you know, so I mean, I like I'll have friends and stuff like that. You know, the, the, who just don't they don't want to invest actively, right? I mean, if whenever I I plug my Patreon. It's for active investors and traders. If you're not an active investor or a trader, I, I I don't want you following what I'm doing, right? Just just every once in a while, tune into one of the live streams, see what you know. Ask me, you know, where our markets headed over the next six months, or you know, is is the sky going to fall? And if it's not, just hold on to your stocks, put money in your 401k, be a be a reasonably decent human being when it comes to saving, and and you know, you'll be fine. And I it, trust me when the sky is about to fall and and things are about to get really bad, and you want to put all your money in cash, I'll start doing the crazy thumbnail. The you know, sky is falling, fire flames behind me, you know, thing, and and just tune into one of those, and you you know, you'll get uh, you'll get the gist of of you know why I think it's time to go in cash. But otherwise, just go live your life. But if you are actively trading, active investing, uh, and and uh, uh, you know, so, something like I've explained can be helpful to you uh, to understand how these flows might uh, might affect markets. Then I, I think I've got the I think I've got the best <laughs> the best mm -hmm. toolkit available from an MMT perspective. Okay, super let's, chats. Let's do a let's do a lightning round for super chats here. Okay, a couple. There's a good amount of questions. Um, Ostracy says an MMT. Or your guy's opinion, is growth always defined as an increase in the money supply? It seems like these things are linked, or am I missing something? Or am I misunderstanding? Yeah, you're missing something. I mean, even, a, okay, so, um, I mean, growth is GDP. GDP defines it as, you know, goods and services that are uh, available for purchase and purchased in, you know, in the economy over a year. Uh, the money supply, is M as uh, M2 defines it as like a, is, is a terrible measure for growth. I mean, in fact, one of the things we did when I was building all the uh, deep learning models, M M2 is not even included directly in, in any of these models because they're just there's no mutual information between growth returns and M2. It just it just completely misses uh, what uh, uh, what money actually is and, and how flows actually determine future growth. Um, what does matter though is kind of how the way Adam and I would define money and money supply and the flow of money supply, which is again government spending. So if if you're if you're good with the way Adam and I are defining money supply. And yes, you need money supply for growth. You need the creation of new loans. You need the uh, you need government spending to have growth. You can't have growth without IOUs being created. So in that sense, if you're willing to define money the way I do, then yes, you need growth and money supply. If you define money supply the way uh, neoclassical would, you're not going to see any correlation there between growth and money supply and, and growth necessarily. You wouldn't, I, at least I wouldn't expect it necessarily. Right. Uh, Dotums asks, what are your thoughts on the theory that uh, quantitative easing essentially cause inflation in financial assets, not the real economy. 
And when that bucket includes housing, that causes non-asset holders slash wage earners to be priced out. QE did not cause, there's no, there's no mechanism for QE to cause inflation. Okay. QE is just a swap of reserves for treasuries. Uh, if, if anything, QE caused disinflation, right? Every country that did QE and ran ZERP uh, effectively got a, a decade's worth of flat prices, right? QE is disinflationary by, by nature because it's removing interest earning uh, assets out, out, of the yeah. out of the private sector and putting those into now the public sector uh, and the banks are now holding reserves. Now, if you're a neoclassical type and you think the bank lends reserves, then you're like, oh, that's, and this is why, I mean, they were all right. Ah, this is going to cause runaway inflation. All oh, the banks have, you know, trillions of dollars of reserves. So, yeah, banks don't want, they, one, they don't want reserves. Two, they don't lend the reserves out. They always, the, the loans always create the deposits. Um, and so therefore, uh, they, they, the, the reserves actually kind of stifle growth. Uh, it also kind of impedes at, at a certain level. It eventually impedes uh, the capital structure of the bank itself, so much so that in the post-COVID uh, era, they had so many reserves that ironically, the Fed had to create a new vehicle to take the reserves called the uh, overnight repur reserve repurchase agreement to take the reserves out of the banks and give them interest uh, or give them essentially space on their balance sheet. Uh, to uh, to allow them to leverage up more to create new loans. So QE from an MMT perspective, I, I, I try and keep this as lightning round as possible, is disinflationary. Low interest rates are disinflationary. High interest rates are um, effectively inflationary or expansionary. Um, and you know we're seeing that play out. If, if you again, my my Twitter page has a thread on this. I don't know if I've got it up. Um, uh, yeah. My, my Twitter page has a thread on this. If you click uh, the, the pin tweet, it's under it's under that pin tweet, and it's a, uh, the headline is "Why haven't rate hikes caused a recession?" It gives kind of the, the MMT understanding uh, as to as to kind of how to understand interest rates. Gotcha. Um, Mr. Anderson says, "What is an inflation adjusted surplus?" It's the real surplus. Uh, I, I'm sorry, it's the nominal surplus or deficit divided by in, uh, CPI inflation. So if the surplus is, um, if, if CPI is 100 and the surplus is uh, 100 million, then you'd have a million uh, CPI in, uh, adjusted surplus of a million because you just divide the two. And then that chart that was up was a year over year. It was the, effectively the flow, right? It was the year over year mm -hmm. change of that that we were looking at. Uh, the reason we do that is because every dollar is only as good as every prior dollar, you know, the, the value of inflation, right? Um, $1 spent by the government, if oil is, you know, a penny, a penny a gallon, uh, has a lot more distance to it than a dollar spent if oil is, or if, if your gas is $4 a gallon, right? Uh, so we, we need to, we need to view government spending in real terms, or uh, yeah, in real terms and, and, and mm -hmm. CPI adjusted terms. Uh, RBGH fam says the magic money tree is a Ponzi scheme backed by power. Stop <laughs> investing in the military and see how well your MMT works. Okay. Yeah, he's not, I mean, he's not. Yeah, he's not incorrect. In, in yeah, sense, but it's not a it's not a Ponzi scheme. Um, but the military, but, the military, the military part is correct. Him, yeah. The Ponzi yeah, the, scheme part is incorrect. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. I mean, Doug. I, I'll let you answer. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I did completely disagree with the Ponzi scheme. That just 
shows an ignorance of uh, monetary policy. But um, yeah, I, I don't disagree. Uh, the reason the dollar is the uh, is the you know the the preferred used currency worldwide and uh, the most stable currency on the globe is uh, because it has the most sound <laughs> justice system backed by the biggest uh, backed by the biggest uh, military, military baby. Yeah. If yeah. you if you create money to build a factory that creates Star Trek replicators, it's impossible to say that that system would not be completely i mean that would make everybody wealthy <laughs> yeah you should go into debt to, to build that factory yeah so i I, just, I agree i mean here's that, the thing how would you call that a ponzi scheme it's a ponzi scheme <laughs> like if you're yeah, if I mean, you're I'll... if you're building factories that create products and services that people want to have that want to spend their time and energy to to get money to buy, then obviously it's not a Ponzi scheme. You're creating wealth. I mean, you have to throw Adam Smith out the window to take that perspective. Uh, it's also not a Ponzi scheme uh, because no one's giving the money to the government with the government promising to pay them back more that they don't actually have. Right. right. I mean, that, that's, that's the, the first step. But the military part is right. I mean, it's, yeah, right, the so military part is definitely right. So just to, I guess the difference would be like, so in a Ponzi scheme, it's like you're paying for something that is, you're not, you're not paying you're for not anything. You're not creating any value. You're not creating yes. anything. Yeah. The money is just simply generated by other people buying in. Right. But in this system, it's true that for yeah. our system to continue, there needs to be continual buy-in, but there's actually products and services that are being traded and sold and something of tangible value. Presumably you, of more value. Look at the technology cycle here. Of course. Like the things that we're getting are more and right. more and more and more and more valuable. Do you know what is a Ponzi scheme? What? Higher interest rates. That is oh. a government-created Ponzi scheme, right? Because mm -hmm. from an MMT perspective, what's happening, right, is we are now just giving, right, when the Federal Reserve increases interest rates, so we're at whatever, 5% on the Fed funds, 5.5%, yeah. whatever it is. It's right, government right? spending to rich people. Yeah, yeah. It's, right, it's, it's giving money to those who have money in proportion to how much money they have. Right now, that is very close to a Ponzi scheme. Right now, it's also the reason why the economy's held on a little bit better than expected, because as it turns out, trickle down economics kind of works, and everyone's fighting for that money that's being supplied to the rich, and the rich have the money, so they're able to supply it, uh, you know, for higher wages and all that sort of stuff. But um, it's it's highly regressive. So in that sense, I, 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 you know, to to to. To, to try and say maybe they're right that, that is a that is a ponzi style scheme um it's highly regressive and the people who end up paying for it are the bottom wrong right which is why every mmt or a, a political prescription for that every, every mmt or would take is a constant zero percent interest rate a permanent zero um, percent interest rate yeah pc for fifty dollars thank you pc says if the government gave the bank the first dollar can we look up this historic event in a history book what if instead a company wants to sell the government a bridge and instead of receiving some resource, they receive an IOU for future services. Yeah, that's effectively what they. I mean, that's effectively what the, the dollar is. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, the I think the government treasury tracks their spending all the way back to seventeen seventy six. Yeah, I, I think you can get all the treasure, uh, the spending all the way back. I mean, obviously things have changed. We've gone on the gold standard, off the gold standard. Um, we've had Brenton Woods, but yeah, the the you can get all the treasury statements going all the way back to to uh, the founding of the nation. Uh, in terms of you know why not just a promissory for other goods and services? I, if, if I'm understanding what he's saying, that's exactly what it is, right? I mean, that's uh, you pay taxes and you use dollars and you get the promise of 
the assets of this country, right? And the assets of this country are, you know, the roadways, the uh, the trains, the you know, the infrastructure, the you know, to a certain extent, the internet uh, that was you know initially funded by the government. Whatever you know, whatever assets the government has that the you know the the public. Uh, the public utilities that it has. That's what you get access to as, as a citizen of the state that or this country that pays taxes. And that's, you know, that is what your IOU is effectively granting, uh, granting you access to. A big component also is that people in the world have the expectation that the United States will be around in a hundred years. If you look at like in Russia right now, they're literally forced to use gold to purchase various things because no one wants the ruble because they think, well, the ruble is likely to be worthless because Russia might be a completely different country in, in 10 years. So uh, the stability of the United States is one of the things that makes our money so valuable. Yep. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, old school for $5 says your guess is misusing the Granger causality. Ah, uh, yeah. I knew, I knew I'd get at least one person to say Granger causality. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't even you'd know get, what that means. Bro. Yeah. You'd get the one, you'd get the one stats geek. Yeah. 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 Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not, <laughs> it is cause okay. Like, uh, you know, everyone knows some sort of esoteric something, right? And and like, it's impossible to sit here and explain in, in any short amount of time what Granger Cause is actually doing, right? Or not doing, right? All I'm trying to do, all Granger Cause can tell you is if there's forecastability from a dependent variable into an independent, or the independent variable into a dependent variable, right? And it doesn't prove causality. I'm speaking directly to this, to this guy right now. It doesn't prove causality. I don't disagree, right? But... When you're building deep learning models, one of the things you want to do, and whether it's uh, whether it's Granger cause, whether it's uh, convergent cross mapping, whatever whatever you need to find, if there's some sort of causal mechanism there, you need to run these things right. Otherwise, you can end up with uh, essentially you know false assumptions in your model. And all I'm saying with the Granger cause stuff is not necessarily that it proves the causal link. What proves the causal link is just the functionality of how accounting works. I mean that that proves it. But the question is the empirical observations and the you know, the data that we gather. Can we say is there a is there for is there forecastability there? And if there is forecastability there, and there is some sort of underlying uh, nonlinear system that that makes sense that you can you know reconstruct uh, in model form, then one should lead the other. Uh, in 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 purely you know layman's terms, that's what we're looking at. So yes, I I, I don't disagree that. For the 30 seconds I had to, to explain Granger Cause, <laughs> that yes, I, I am selling it for that it is. I have a, again, I have a tweet okay. thread. Uh, if you want that tweet thread that kind of shows, and I make it very clear what Granger Cause is and isn't, and that, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, but it still is a tool. And you know what? My side, at least it has. Uh, you know, the MMTers. I mean, every time I look, every time I run the various tests, they always come back with a statistically significant finding from a Granger cause or convergent cross mapping or, um, you know, kind of the graph networks, whatever, whatever statistical tool you want to use uh, to find that, that potential connection there. It, it seems to be there. Yeah. Uh, WT1A1A says, how does this not screw over poor people who don't know how spending works with MMT? Like, how can I explain this to them simply? How does it screw over poor people? How does this not screw over poor people? How does but MMT not screw over poor people? I mean, in, in theory, <laughs> MMT should help poor people uh, right. because, you well, know. How would you explain it to them simply if we don't understand the first part of the question? Just that, that uh, okay, okay. 
I mean, above all else, what MMT is trying to say from at least a political standpoint is that the government is not constrained and it's not constrained by spending, right? So that means that we can have political discussions about um, uh, about the value of offering public services, right? Take single-payer healthcare or something like that, right? What we can take off the table immediately is the discussion about uh, how are we going to pay for this? That's not what the discussion needs to be about. The question is, what services are we going to cover in the single-payer healthcare, right? How many doctors, how many nurses, what does our infrastructure look like? You know, how do the roads look like, you know, to get patients to the hospital? What does all this stuff look like? Uh, do we have the capacity to just do single payer or will there be you know, kind of massive inflation or something like that? Um, but we can pay for it. The discussion then is what can we actually offer and what are the real resources there? And this is where the political discussion has to take place, right? right? Because at the end of the day, uh, we can't fund every plastic surgery as a single payer healthcare, right. right? I mean, at some point too, if, uh, you know, there will be a tragedy to the commons that could occur, right? Um, hopefully you can put incentives in place where people, you know, try and eat healthy, stay healthy, so they don't need the doctor, but you, you can envision a situation where people just abuse them. Well, if I get free healthcare, I don't have to take responsibility for myself or whatever, you know, however you want to, you know, however you, but the point is, the constraint is a real resource constraint. It's not a monetary or fiscal constraint. It's a real resource constraint. And, you know, it is a, it is a way to, the, the monetary system is a way to allow the government to, as uh, is, is equitably as possible, get access, allow its citizens to get access to the private sector or to public sector goods and services uh, that it deems necessary. And then the political decision is just, you know, wh which direction you want to go. I, I want to make an important point here because this is what's so infuriating about a lot of the political discussion around things like universal health care or social security. We're not having any conversation politically about the real resources it will take when yep. we have millions of retirees. Like, what does that look like as far as doctors, nurses, nursing homes? Like, the, the, the tangible things that we need on the ground no one is talking about. So having a bunch of financial assets and all these old people's bank accounts and having three doctors on staff is just not going to cut it. Like that's is going to yep. be massively inflationary. So right. our politicians need to talk about that stuff instead of bickering over how to invest the money. Like it's so, a, it's completely ass backwards. So I, I think that when we're, when you're talking about this, because for all the people who are so, um, untrusting i guess of mmt and of government spending i guess the way to to lead it off to start the conversation is say spending or spending or debt isn't the constraint it's inflation and the physical resources that exist right so right so you're acknowledging that there is obviously constraint there's not yep. an infinite money tree right it's just that the constraint is a different constraint than what people uh, yeah. say it is and, and I, I wouldn't even throw out the inflation part because i, I I'm going to say the thing you're not supposed to say. Uh -oh, okay. I don't really think inflation is that big of a deal if if you don't have full employment. To me, it's it's full mm -hmm. employment that matters, right? Mm. And it's and it, 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 it as long as three things: as long as the government accepts its own currency as its tax, as long as the government doesn't back its currency by anything, so it's not pegged to anything, and as long as the government never issues debt in someone else's currency, it's going to be very very hard to get any sort of runaway inflation. You can get sudden pops in inflation like we did post COVID if you spend, right. you know, 10% of uh, of the you know, current uh, public debt load uh, effectively overnight. 
No doubt about that. But it will always be transitory, right? Which is exactly what we saw. Those three things, though, countries like Argentina, Venezuela, Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. all violated one of those three things. Zimbabwe okay. takes taxes uh, in U.S. dollars. Zimbabwe issues debt that's not their own. And Zimbabwe pegged their currency to another currency. Venezuela, same thing. Argentina, same thing, right? So, you know, when, when, when Warren Mosler set this whole thing up, his whole point was to explain the economy in terms of a country uh, that is has a floating exchange rate as opposed to a fixed exchange rate, right? All that means is those three things that I just listed off, those three things that I just listed off are true. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, are false, right? Or, or however I said it, that they don't have, don't have, don't have. So it's true right. that we don't have any of those, right? We are right. what they call a sovereign issue. The minute you get out of that game, uh, the MMT analysis is no longer true, right? It's no longer an MMT nation in that sense, right? It's right. Uh, it's a backed system. So uh, it's hard, very, very hard to get inflation when those three things are true and um, any inflation will be relatively short-lived. And as long as that spending is targeted on an increase in infrastructure or true you know, just, uh, uh, additional uh, production output, you're not going to get inflation. So um, for me, if you need a little inflation to keep employment uh, all the way up, I'm fine with that. It's not going to last that long uh, when those three things are true, right. uh, but but above all else, it would be the real constraint is the real resources, and that's what the debate has to be around, right? That's what the debate right. absolutely has to be around because only so many people are smart enough to be doctors, right? I, I mean, that's just that is just that is the, the problem okay, that we're yeah. going to face, yeah. So I guess the homework will be for those who do not like MMT would be to find a country that did have runaway inflation. That didn't fit one of those three oh, criteria. Yeah. To well, they have to have all three of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have right. to have all. all that three. didn't yeah, have yeah. one of the three. Yeah. Mark oh, yeah, Blythe yeah. talks about how the runaway inflation in Weimar Germany, the one they always point to, is done completely deliberately, <laughs> and they stopped it as soon as they wanted to. Yeah, because what happened? They had to. They 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 didn't even issue a debt. They were imposed a debt. Right. You lose right. a war, yes. you impose a debt. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I don't disagree. If all of a sudden <laughs> the U.S. said. Um, our currency can be converted one to one into an ounce of gold. We're going to get runaway inflation. I don't disagree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that, that is that is a that is a recipe for disaster. Um, we are will either get runaway inflation if the government continues to spend, or we will get runaway deflation if the government decides to fully meet its obligations. Either way, it's bad, and uh, that would be the outcome. This is why no one. This is why the U.S. government would never. I mean, we had a conversation with someone a while ago. Um, this is why the U.S. government would never accept, like, uh, some kind of crypto as, as like an alternative taxes, to yeah. pay taxes instead of U.S. Yeah, dollars. Of course not. Right. They might use the peer-to-peer technology to use to make a stable coin. So you have right, which I'm in favor of. Like, why are we paying all these service fees to credit card companies? Why can't we have some sort of electronic money that's mm-hmm. fee-less? Huh. Uh, Daniel Irish, thank you so much for the fifty dollars. Yeah, Says, thanks. Really, Dan. really interest, really inter- entertaining stream. A nice reprieve from the annoying political and culture war nonsense. Well, don't worry, we've got some of that for you later today. But uh, <laughs> oh, let's get into the culture you. war. I'm I'm ready, man. Well, I came well, prepared for culture war okay, too, well. man. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, old school. Thank you so much for the five dollars. Says, oh, okay, he got it on Granger causality. But I am a stats nerd. I do have a, a graduate degree in it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for saying that I moderately know what I'm talking about. There you go. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Spiro Floral Porlis for five Canadians says, let's say I have $50,000. What do I do with this money using MMT? <laughs> <laughs> Buy stonks, baby. 
it's well this uh, is this is act not the time to do it so yeah wait uh, wait wait until october yeah yeah we're experiencing a market pullback um he's saying he's going to get back in and obviously you know this is not financial advice no i no yeah He's looking to get back in around 42, 4,300 on the S&P. He told me earlier he buys something called SPXL. That's it. It's like, like the L for leverage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, and I, I've never, I've never traded this, but evidently it's three times the leverage of the S&P 500. There are also other ETFs you can buy that mirror the S&P 500. There's SPY, I think is one of them. Yep, V-O-O. VOO is one of them. Typically what I do is I buy one of those. I don't I've never done the leverage thing. So if the if you buy at a certain level and the market goes up 5%, if you buy the leverage one, the market will go up 15% or your your stock your financial instrument, I don't even know what you call it, the ETF will go mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. But if it goes down, you're going to go down. 15%. Yep. So I don't like the whole idea about playing the S&P 500 is kind of the S&P 500 is stable. It doesn't go up or down very much. But if you're buying a leveraged financial instrument, Doug, like well, well yeah, yeah, it's, that's cuz I have balls and you don't, man. Jeez. Yeah. No, 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 no. You, no okay, well, no, okay, you, okay. you and, definitely and, have a bigger yeah, appetite no, no, for no. risk. That's for no, sure. No, no, no. In, in, in all sincerity, okay. So let, let's just say you have $100,000 to invest, right? But you want access to both stocks, bonds, maybe you want gold in there, maybe you have uh, maybe you have some asset classes, right? Maybe you want to be long tech, but short uh, you know, consumables or durables, right? Or something like that, short junk stocks, right? You can construct then a much more potent portfolio that gives you much uh, more exposure the using leverage, right? So uh, one way to look at this would be, let's say, let's just say I want stocks and bonds, right? But I've only got a hundred thousand uh, dollars. And I know stocks and bonds generally, except for in the current environment that we're in, historically stocks and bonds have, uh, uh, have often gone opposite of each other, right? So what I can do is I can use leverage to leverage up my exposure to stock and bonds. Now, overall, from a from an investor standpoint, your your risk still remains moderately hedged. You're just able to lever up the amount of money you have. Don't do leverage unless you know what you're doing. Don't do leverage unless you, you know you're okay with the swings. I'll tell you, okay. I, I mean, look, I, if, you know, if you followed me for any amount of time, and and, and you've been, you know, I, I've I've been right far more than I've been wrong over the last three, four, five years. Uh, but one time I was absolutely wrong. Is I really thought we'd get a, a far more aggressive bounce after the uh, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia that tanked markets. I really thought we'd get a bounce into April. We did a little bit, but for the most part, it fizzled. I held at that point because the, the models really said it's April's going to be the top, not January. And uh, it was just in part because of kind of a black swan curveball. And it sucked. I mean, there was no way to put it. It sucked. And uh, when you're playing leverage, you get burnt. But um, on the upside, I was very levered uh, during the climb into 2022 from 2020 on. And, uh, you know, that, that obviously more than made up for it. So, I, my, my point is, there are going to be some investors who are going to be like, what the hell this guy is suggesting leverage? I'm not suggesting leverage. I am just right. saying no. that, that is what I do. Uh, don't do it yourself unless you fully understand what it is that you're doing. And you know, you're know, you okay if one day uh, you wake up and um, 
you know, you, you've got a negative $30,000 in your, you know, as you, as you lost that day. That's I mean, tough. The- that's, that's tough to get sleep. One of the first investing books that I, I read was by this guy who was basically sharing his experience as a trader and he had taken a second mortgage out on his house yeah, and don't bought, do that. Oh, love God, please don't do that. And bought no, a bunch no, no. of options and lost all the money. And he's uh, like, go, he's uh, going to sleep next to his wife every single night uh, thinking, do I tell her? <laughs> like, don't get yourself into that situation. That's oh my not, God. Don't no, do that. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. And if, yeah. And, and you know, if you do the other thing too, I, I mean, I, when I was younger, I used to play a lot of poker. I love poker. If you have an inclination towards gambling, be extra careful too, because it's very easy to just gamble. Um, but I, I, I always recommend if people get into and they want to start watching markets, they want to start investing, that they start from a buy and hold standpoint, right? Just just start looking at your, you know, your 401k, make make sure that you're you're aware of kind of, you know, what you're actually invested in and not. And then build, you know, build from there, right? If you have, you know, a couple thousand in savings and you just want to put that in something like the spy, take baby steps. Um, the, the markets will always be there. We, there is always the big move right around the corner. There's no need to to take outside risk uh, that, that you don't exactly understand the consequences of. So I'm going to digress from my uh, <laughs> from my big disclaimer there. But Jeremy's uh, Prime for 15 Aussie says, does the use of uh, money as a weapon have the potential to push more countries away from? Uh, is the use of the U.S. dollar as a weapon have the potential to push more countries yeah. away from using it? Yes, it's more stable, let's say, than the yuan, but the Chinese don't care what you do at home. Yeah, to, yeah, to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 I am willing to kind of buy the argument that um, sanctioning countries uh, that use the dollar can affect the desire to want to use the dollar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if business agreements uh, can just be annexed or you know can be nixed. Um, w- without any consideration, yeah, yeah. That, that can certainly kind of undermine things. But uh, for the most part, you know, one of the benefits too of the U.S. is we just have the best technology and services in the world still. Right. And, you, you know, you need we all only take dollars uh, to give our services. So as long as that's the case, uh, it'll be a long time before mm-hmm. uh, the, the U.S. truly undermines itself. But yeah, there does need to be that consideration. Well, well, and I you have it's... to look at it next to the CCP, which we could nix those loans at any time too. So Right. Because what I was yeah. going to say is I don't agree with the second part of that because I think when the U.S., like whether the U.S. is going to leverage sanctions against other countries, I think the U.S. does it in a fairly predictable manner. Yep. Under, you know, liberal principles that most people can kind of see coming, you know, Russia invades its neighbor. That is like, you know, a liberal country. Obviously, America's not going to be happy about it. But with China, I don't agree that China doesn't care what you do. I think I don't think anyone would trust China. Like if China supplanted the U.S., I don't think anyone would trust China to not leverage its uh, fiscal, yeah, fiscal yeah. policy. And it's in the one, you know, in a way that would be very uh very more volatile than the way America does in a far more selfish, selfish yeah, unfair. way America does. Yeah. But every time like the China has opened up its markets and its people always want to keep their savings in dollar denominated accounts. And China has literally cut them off from doing that because they, they, they want people to use their currency. But what does that tell you if you actually live in China and you would rather use a foreign currency than the currency your own country puts out? What's that say? Right. I mean, it wasn't wasn't it not it was only like wasn't it earlier this year that China had some massive they like 
they leveraged a bunch of private companies or they took a bunch of private companies over or something yeah. and basically put them under state rule, yeah. like kind of randomly without anyone really expecting it. So I don't know. I, I don't agree that people would see the one as like a, a solid. Is an, is an, yeah. As an alternative. alternative. Yeah. Right. I, I, I agree. I, I don't. Yeah. I, I mean, for China to really kind of take over uh, on a financial aspect, they, they would need to get rid of socialism. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they would need to get rid of state control at that point. Yeah. 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 I mean, if they introduced even just a little bit of democracy mm-hmm. and, and, and a fair, a more fair justice system, you're going to get a long way for people trusting, willing to trust uh, that uh, the good affair shake. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Ubercross, I think you already answered this, but maybe you can give like a really a simple one. Uh, what's the difference between MMT and classical monetary theory? Never heard of classical monetary theory. Uh, if, if he means like classical monetary neoclassical economics i think is what he means okay okay for for that the easiest answer is mmt understands and is fully aware and built upon the premise that we are a that we have a floating exchange rate neoclassical economics still has and you can hear this if you listen to the interview they they did with anthony davies um still has a lot of assumptions that are built uh, and, and understand money from a fixed exchange rate. That is the fundamental starting point. Uh, that uh, That is a fundamental difference. The first fork in the road from there, all of the things uh, you know are built upon. And, and you know, when they say uh, that uh, you need to borrow money, the government needs to borrow money to spend it. It's because they think that, you know, the government has to go get the money out of the, the financial sector first to the private sector first. And it's because they have that, that faulty understanding right out of the gate. So that, that would be the difference. That's the the the, the starting difference. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, I think that's it for questions directed at you. Thanks for coming on, Douglas. Dude, thanks for having me on, guys. This has been uh, this has been fun. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. If uh, anyone else uh, ever wants to debate an MMT, or maybe, <laughs> maybe maybe I'll go for it. I might I'll be able to set it. something like that up. We'll 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 talk, and we'll have you back again for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Douglas is MMT Macro Trader at, on Twitter. Links yep. and his uh, Patreon and Twitter are linked, and his YouTube channel are linked in the description. So yeah, yeah, hit me up on the out. socials, man. Boost my socials. Uh, there you go, Adam and Sitch's crew. This has been the most mm-hmm. fun I've ever had on a right wing comedy. <laughs> this is the most fun I've ever had on a right wing comedy. Wow, show he knows called, all the memes. That's right. Oh, look that's at this. Fun. This is look a right wing comedy show called Adam and Sitch. Um, wow, so, look at this. He knows you, this all is, of the memes. This is, this is really cool. This do you, really do you follow? Are you following the Destiny drama that's going on? I did I listen to the I, I listened okay. to the brief uh, brief discussion. Yeah, you guys had. Yeah. Wow. Do you do you well, listen I mean, to it wasn't his a content? Brief discussion, but do you like? I, the... I've never listened to Dis- Destiny before. No. Oh, okay. No. Cool. No. Cool. That was my first introduction. I was aware of him, but that was my first introduction. Was uh, your guys? Wasn't a good. And I assume it was not a good introduction for. Yeah, I don't even remember what you guys were talking about. To be honest, now <laughs> they're all Republicans or retards. I think. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I you know I, I do yeah. Listen, I, I'll yeah. Come check out my live stream tomorrow. <laughs> I, I, I'll discuss this there. But Adam, okay. a, Adam, I, I'm I'm in line with you. I mean, I think some of the messaging from the left is so off-putting. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't blame people for saying "screw you guys." We're not doing that. I think the messaging right. could be so much more on brand. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You got to show people at least a monicum of respect, especially if you want them to show you any respect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I agree. Right. I agree. All right, we'll say we'll say goodbye. I think we have a couple other things to do before we sign off. But it was great talking to you, Doug. And we'll yeah, talk thanks for having me on again. Talk again. Absolutely. Take take care, gentlemen. Well, okay. actually, I, I think I might have to take the host back here before you. Okay. 
Reclaim right, the host. Take the there power back. <laughs> Adam is now on. Th- now I think you can leave. Take All the right, Have a good one, back. everyone. Take care. Take care, man. Later. Okay. So I'm going to read the rest of the Super Chats, and then we're going to uh, turn the stream off, and we're going to start a new stream. And if, if there, I don't know if it exists yet. If not, Adam can start making it while I'm doing the Super Chats. It did. I created it. I was going to put the thumb. Nice. Okay. On. We're going to cover. Nice job on the thumb, CT. That looks Yes, thank awesome. you, CT, for making the thumb. We were going to talk to. the white eye, the whites of the eyes, like I like them. <laughs> we were going to talk to someone else, but they had to cancel. So instead, uh, we're going to cover uh, yesterday or the day before yesterday. Hassan, our good friend Hassan Abbey, Hassan Piker, decided to uh, watch and complain very strongly about the very famous country song that blew up very recently. Right. By um, what's his name, Oliver uh, uh, Oliver Anthony, the Oliver Anthony song that everyone loves. Hassan has to weigh Richmond, in. Richmond, north you. of Richmond. Yes, and Hassan Hassan has to weigh in and tell you why that song actually sucks. Okay. Boy, so I bet he's got a lot of that. interesting things to say about that. Yes. So uh, get ready for that. Okay, uh, girl Sarah for two dollars says centrism has fallen. Billions must tribe. That's pretty funny. Uh, Jack Rama for ten dollars says, after reading one and a, one and one half books yesterday, I can confirm Adam is right about the making a murder documentary. It's shocking how dishonest <laughs> that documentary was. I'm currently in a fight with my girlfriend about it. Wow. Well, don't okay. break up with your girlfriend over it. Come Never on. get into a fight with your girlfriend about anything true crime related. That's a losing battle, my friend. Oh, they do. They love the true crime. Yeah, you're in they trouble. Do. <laughs> they do. Uh, Mr. Ubercross, thank you for the 10 gifted memberships. Thank you, Mr. Ubercross. Mr. Ubercross really did not like the MMT conversation today, we, but thank you for the support. Mr. Ubercross and I argue in DMs about MMT all the time. So. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, C. Paffy for $10 says, so people get mad at Adam because they think he strawmans regularly the anti-MMT people. So what does he do? He has a guy on to strawman the anti-MMT people. Y'all just driving folks to be CP24 at this point. There you go. Calvin Pafford. CP24. Is uh, is Mr. Girl going to be your vice presidential? <laughs> yeah, Calvin. What's up with that? <laughs> there you go. Uh, Jack of Spades for 16 months says, here's my monthly membership to help Sitch buy a home so he can stop streaming from the Panda Express parking lot. Well, thank you. I actually do appreciate Wow. That. But you're so close as, to Panda Express. It's it's nice, though. It is nice to be close. Well, listen, they have a loft above the Panda Express, so I can now move in to the Panda Express. My dream. I can Sweet. have the smell of orange chicken like just in my nostrils 24-7. Oh, that's so good. I love that orange chicken. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Caleb, the cynic for five dollars says, "Here's my donation to buying Adam's house." Sitch S class is buying Adam's house. Class. Sweet. Thank you, Caleb. Look, four million sold. There you go. I'll sell it to you right now. Really, for four million? For the low, low price of four million dollars? For four million, yeah. yeah. I don't think That's I have four million dollars. I, I know this might be surprising. To you. I don't have four million dollars to buy your house. That's not worth four million dollars, but. Uh, the lieutenant for $5 says, S-Class drives around their neighborhood shooting fireworks off to scare the dogs. Wow. Ooh, A-Team wow. Brain Supreme. Listen, I only do that to, to bad dogs, okay? To dogs that deserve it. There are no such, There's no such thing as a bad dog. That is not true. <laughs> there are very annoying dogs out there who just won't shut up. 
Uh, Equation Docs for 15 months says, stay based, y'all. And chat have kept me aware. You y'all and chat have kept me aware and down to earth through life's challenges. Glad Adam's okay. Hope the storm was kind to you and yours. Well, thank you, Equation Docs. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, you, I there, mean, was, the storm was, wasn't too bad and things mm-hmm. are going good. So, and thanks Great. for the super chat. Yeah. And, uh, Lucy, and let me, thanks for yeah. the compliment. It's good yes, to know that we so are much. having some impact on the world. Makes it, it makes it feel like we're all not just shouting into the void here. So thank you. I do appreciate it. Uh, Lucy Lemonbug for five gifted memberships. Thank you so much. Even though you're a dirty, dirty chopper. Okay. And by chopper, I mean sticker. <laughs> hey, chopper's you, better, isn't it? Thank you, Lucy. Uh, Stuck for five dollars says, why can't we say that money in our modern economy is backed by material goods in general rather than only gold? Well, I think you, I think I kind of asked that in the conversation. I think it would be the same issue as a gold thing is that just it would create a limitation on government spending that obviously mmt people are not in favor of my i when you when we were talking about the gold standard i was thinking about how a lot of people don't want the u.s government to get in the healthcare industry right well if you backed by a gold standard wouldn't you basically be getting the u.s government into the mining industry i mean they have to get that gold from somewhere right right yeah. Well, I think it, it goes down to the intuitions that I laid out. It's just, you know, do you think the fault, do you think that government spending money helps the economy or hurts the economy? And if you think it hurts the economy, you want to limit it and you want to limit it through gold because you think that's going to create some kind of st- stability for the government. If you think government spending helps the economy or that the economy needs government involvement, then you have the opposite opinion because you'd say, well, gold will create instability. Because it's going to force the government to have to have some sort of, it's going to do all these sorts of things to our monetary policy that's going to force government to behave in ways that it hasn't had to behave in, you know, that are unproductive. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Calvin Pafford for $2 says the CP24 movement grows every minute of this stream. There you go. Uh, The Wooster for $5 says, I'm okay with MMT as long as we bring back the gold standard with it. Uh, Ouch. Chael Sama for $10 says, Yarn Brook has some great criticisms of MMT. He also has an eight-hour course on the 2008 crisis. Invite him on. I tried to set up a a debate with him and Warren Mosler, but he kind of flaked out a bit. So it's interesting mm. that you think... Um, I mean, I'd be interested to listen to his, his critiques of MMT. The problem yeah, is I just... I would love I that debate between him and Warren Mosler because that would be yeah. fire and I would like to see the fireworks I, I would like to have uh some kind of debate or conversation where we have someone who is very pro mmt and someone who is very anti mmt that would talk and then i being the idiot can kind of try to cultivate the answers to questions that i'm that i want to get to and i think other people want to get to because my problem is that like usually when i listen to two economists debate it's like at a level that that like unless you have that prerequisite level of knowledge you don't know what the fuck they're talking about right no i i get that um fire sky 15 for ten dollars says regardless of how you get money or value it's going to be equated to a currency or something so there's going to be a value on your service or your product sure yeah uh, the Wooster for $20 says, MMT plus the gold standard is my new dream monetary policy. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Oh, there you go. Wooster, you you're doing that just to trigger us, right? I mean, that's what's <laughs> going on here. 
I mean, it is working a little bit. Right. Oh, this is interesting. So Brick Nose sent two super chats. Uh, first, for another for another ten dollars. Thank you for earlier for the hundred dollars. Brick Nose. Brick Nose for ten dollars says, "I admit I'm ignorant here, but that was a hell of a lot of talking for trying to describe a thing. Not much clear benefit. Call me when this guy is a multimillionaire off his deep learning model." And yeah, I mean, I agree. I didn't really understand his answer to your questions. Um, but then Brick Nose sent another five dollars saying, "I take it back." Good advice there at the end. Thanks for translating my stupid for the guest stitch and your grasp of this is impressive, Adam. Yeah, I understood yeah, I, what he was saying, but I've been... Yeah, I, I don't think your question was stupid, uh, Brick Nose. I think I think it just gets complicated because when we're talking to Douglas or other like economics people, like they're going to throw out a lot of terms, a lot of concepts. Yeah, he says demand. That creates demand. And you're like, well, right. what is that? Yes, like they're, you're using a different vocabulary set than most people don't know what they're talking about, myself included. So, um, I always think of demand as like money that can be spent on goods and services. They okay. talk about aggregate demand as in the total amount of money that can be spent on goods and services. Right. Capitalism is driven by sales. If nobody's buying anything, capitalism doesn't work. A sure. lot of people want to, and, and this is the in, a lot of the intuitions of people on the right, which it, it's this is one of the problems in China. People in China want to work all day, work their fingers to the bone, and go home and not spend a dime on anything. <laughs> they want to save it all. Right. You, that system cannot exist because well, same thing in Japan. So that's kind of the problem. But. Yeah. What you're creating something for right. somebody to buy. And if right. you don't have people out in the world that want to buy that thing, that worthless thing that you just spent all day making, then there's no point in even making it. You might as well just stay home. Right. So, uh, yeah, this is kind of why China and America are in this weird codependent relationship where the Chinese produce all of our stuff and American American want to just buy, 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 right. and not work at all. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> exactly. But it's funny, you start learning how economics works, and suddenly you kind of have a lot mm -hmm. of respect for the person that just wants to spend money. It's like, well, they kind of keep our whole system going. True. Yeah. Uh, Sammy G, for $20, the S-Class Brigadier General of Arts and Degeneracy, says, one day I'll understand MMT. But that day is not today. <laughs> LOL. Also, Adam and Sitch, if you guys need $4 million in loans, ask the Sammy G Bank. We don't charge interest. Our bank's in or money interest. Our bank's interest rate is in monetary made outfits. Wow. Wow. How many like how many times do I have to show up on stream in a made outfit to get a $4 million interest-free yeah. loan? <laughs> I mean, I got to admit, I'm contemplating it here. I'm contemplating it, yeah. $4 million is a lot of money. Right. Um, Daniel Irish for $10 says, I see Doomer in the chat. Please ask why he included the Jack Nicholson rom-com, Something's Gotta Give, but not the one, not the movie that won him an Oscar as good as it gets. Doomer? Something you know Gotta this? Give. Yeah. As good as it gets. Something gotta give as good as it gets. Hmm. Uh, Daniel Irishman $10 says, tell Doomer that as good as it gets grossed more domestically. $148 uh, million. 
then something's got to give, which only grossed 124 million. Well, there you wow. go. Wow. There you go. Uh, Joe the Make for Two Hours says, get Lance Roberts from RIA to debate against MMT. The problem Joe. I have, look, I don't, what is there to debate? I just, look. What do you mean? I, There's a lot of debate. People all are like the, losing their minds in chats. And this is none of this is true. I don't look. It's a it's a way to conceptualize things. I just I don't. Okay. You, if, you're you're fundamentally telling me don't conceptualize it this way. When I hear you say you know we can't do MMT, and I just think why? <laughs> like <laughs> why? You're acting like me conceptualizing it this way is going to change the entire monetary system. Okay. You think you I'm think that's going to happen, Sitch? Right. You think there, that's a possibility? No, I don't think that's a possibility. But what what I'm saying is that like when we have people that are MMT people on, they make a bunch of claims. People in the chat like go ballistic and they say this is none of this is true. This is a fantasy. This is you know blah 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 blah. None of this is true. So I think it'd be interesting to have someone who believes in MMT and someone who doesn't believe in MMT to come on at the same time. They both know their economics, so that when the chat loses their mind about something. There's a person that either says chat is correct, I dis or I agree with chat that this is not accurate, and then explain it, or they say the people in chat just don't know what they're talking about or they're confused, right? There, That's what I want. I want there to be some kind of voice given so that I know what the fuck people are talking about. There is no way to adjudicate those truth claims because, mm -hmm. like Ant Anthony Davis came on, and like Douglas said, like I said during the stream. You're just saying a bunch of shit that ain't true. Yeah, but so they but everyone argue. in chat is like, "Oh, this is great! Look, but he's totally that's what sticking." I want. I want the argument. I want the argument. Um, there, so what is? There's no way to to come to any conclusion because it's just a way to conceptualize what is happening. Well, no, but there are fact claims. Like if 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 um, Douglas or Anthony make a fact claim that is incorrect, right? That can be checked. It's not just a question of conceptualizing something. I don't. What what claims specifically can you check? And how? I don't. I don't remember. Like he was. There were some claims about how money was created. That was a fact claim, was it not? How are you going to check that? So he. Well, someone has to be able to check it. What do you mean, Lee? The. Douglas laid out how the money is actually created with the treasury bonds and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Dave Davis Anthony Davies laid it out incorrectly. I don't I mean I don't know how you would prove that claim. Okay, whatever. Yeah, I don't understand what the confusion is here, but let's move on. Joe the Make for five dollars says, um Adam, Douglas literally tried to claim that inflation is meaningless, and you still think there's no debate? And I, what was his claim on the inflation is meaningless? So, um, he he, he was saying he didn't look, think it was that big a deal. As he long wasn't as there was some other factor. He like. was making the claim that he didn't think inflation could get out of control from spending. I, he he didn't make the claim that inflation is no big deal. That if inflation does get out of control, it's no big deal. That's not the claim he made. He made the claim that he doesn't think inflation can get out of control from the right. from the institutions we have in place. So I I mean 
Uh, Joe Meg says, Adam, I literally checked his ass on a basic core fact about the Great Depression within minutes of the conversation. Well, that's what I want to know is, is that true or not? What was the question? Was well, so he he made a claim about it's not like he was making a claim that the Great Depression, part of the reason the Great Depression existed was because the government um didn't step in properly to spend money to help alleviate it. And Joe the Meg was saying, Well, no, they actually did spend a bunch of money after the you know, when the Great Depression happened. Okay. And that'd be the thing to look into. So, okay, well, what's the answer to this question? Because I would assume it's not just did the government spend money? I'm assuming it also would be, well, like, what is the way in which the government spent money, too? So, do you, you know how there's a stratus, there's strata all around the world that has the evolutionary history in it, and they have this idea that if you could find some sort of fossilized species out of order in the strata, that would be devastating to evolution. Nobody's yes. ever found yes. that thing, but. My problem with this is maybe you checked him on some fact about the Great Depression, but I don't know if it's that strata thing, right? This is the thing that just completely debunks everything that's being said, or it's just some kind of minutia point. He got wrong. So okay, that I don't know. that's that that so so when you say this, Joe, I'm like, well, how does that really change anything? Well, it, dep <laughs> it, it, de it depends what if that's what you, but what you're saying is that's the issue. Is there some claim? What is the claim? That's why I said, like, for people to do their homework, if he's making a claim that says a country can't have runaway inflation unless it has one of these three things, someone can fact check that and say, was that true? And if it's true, say, oh, well, that's true. Right. Well, you, but if it's but not you, true, you can say, oh, no, wait a minute. Here's a country that did have runaway inflation and they didn't have one of these three things. Right. Well, you've got to give us, though, the fossilized feature out of order in the strata type conceptual well, that's what, that's framework. That's what Joe was trying to say, right? He was trying to say. But I'd have to go back and listen to exactly what he said, and then I'd have to go investigate the uh, what happened after the Great Depression. So, But anyway, Joe also says $5. Uh, yes, he did, and inflation did get out of control, requiring the fastest Fed rate hike acceleration history to stall inflation. There you go. Okay. Uh, Stock for $5 says, I don't think that money being backed by material goods limits government spending in the way that you might think it does. Oh, well, then what's the point of doing it? Yeah, isn't the whole point of the gold standard to limit government spending? I don't know. Anyways, let's stop talking about money because no one cares about economic stuff. Oh, put the... um, Put the... uh. Put the new link in the chat. Okay. You want me to do that? Yeah. I can do that. Okay. So anyway, we're going to turn off the stream, and then in a five minutes or so, we're going to start again. A new stream. Click the link. We're going to watch Hassan Piker complaining so much so about the song Rich Men from the Rich Men North of Richmond, the song by Oliver Anthony that everyone loves, but Hassan doesn't love. And we're going to find out why. We're going to find out why he hates this man. Is it because he's white? Is it because he has a better beard than Hassan? Let's find out together. Don't so hit the button yet. I'm not going to hit the button yet. I'm going to pin this comment. Okay, you pin the it's comment. It's going to be great. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? I feel like we had something else we were supposed to talk about before. Uh, we did after the stream, like privately. <laughs> oh, we did? <laughs> yes. Well, we can't talk about that publicly. 
No. That's too, too much. Too salacious, yes. I know. That would get us in big Interesting, yeah. Okay. That was the stuff about Destiny, right? (laughs) No, that wasn't, but... Look, I'm joking around, obviously. Let's, uh, in the stream here, let's start the new stream. Yes. Bye-bye!